Previously on the Project Umbrella podcast. The gameplay is monotonous, it's not really fun, not really well explained. I just wish this game was non-canon. It just seems fashionable to hate this game and it's really, really, really not that bad. <laughs> it's a form of erotic comic because a friend knows his stuff about that. Friend. <laughs> friend. 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 With, uh, with guess what? A Tricell logo on a wall. Biohazard 3. Horror in the horny tentacle mansion. <laughs> is it canon? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it is. Gotta be more canon than Umbrella Corp. <laughs> Welcome to episode 36 and season 3 finale of the Project Umbrella podcast. Removing all those who purport the Wesker clone theory in a brutal manner, and when it comes to doing what we can do to win Olympic gold, a piss in the diving pool went very wrong. My name is Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today for the podcast. We can confirm that he has a library in his hometown, it's Batman. Hello. His local library actually has two floors, it stars Tyrant. <laughs> Hello. I don't believe it. West Country libraries have three floors of books. It's George Trevor. Hi there. And finally, residents in Portsmouth, well, they don't know what a book is, so their library is now social housing. <laughs> it's Mr. Spencer! <laughs> Wonderful. God, that was gold. So well done there. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Coming up on today's podcast, we'll be running through all the latest biohazard news, and we're going to have a quick discussion on RE7 as well, because there's obviously a new trailer to talk about as well. The main discussion of the podcast is Biohazard The Stage which is a theatre production running in Japan, which is causing all sorts of stirs in the canon universe. And as it's a Series 3 finale, we'll be finishing off with a very special quiz. Oh yes, hold on to your hats with that. So without further ado, we'll start with the news. So we'll start with Umbrella Corps, which went so well last time, we thought we'd start off with it again. Uh, there's some more DLC, always good that it's free. This includes the four survivors game mode and a new map featuring the marketplace area from Chapter 4 of Leon's campaign in Resident Evil 6. Four survivors features players battling to stay alive in a last man standing type scenario with players gaining points for every second they survive and killing others. And you can also use a ink ribbon and locator typewriter to save their progress, which is a nice nod to the old games. Also featured is more Wesker dialogue, the ability to play the maps in the dark, which I know, Sean, you, you want to have your say on that, and the inclusion of some classic music tracks and sound effects. I just said the fact that it's using the music tracks, it includes, um, you know, things like that, that typewriter mechanic you talked about, it, it, it scratches a little bit of a nostalgia itch, which works in the game's favour. I still, I'm not giving it a pass. <laughs> You know, they're welcome improvements and... And it's free, so... Yeah. Do you, do you think, is this in response to fan criticism, do you think, or was it always planned? I would imagine it was probably always planned, because I think the Spencer Mansion 
content was announced before the game was released, wasn't it? So the mansion looks a lot better in the dark as well, and it plays yeah, it, it plays the main hall music from the '96 original. Oh, that's nice. Let's not try and dwell on Umbrella Corps because the, the backlash has been immense. Um, Mr. Spencer, do you have any views on Umbrella Corps? Well, I played a bit of it with uh, the Sean. Me and you played it for a bit. Oh yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah. And um, I thought, right, I'll give it a go. It's on PC, so I can play it. You're a seasoned PC gamer, of course, so your uh, so your expertise will be um, most appreciated here. I mean, yeah, I do appreciate that the precise aiming that the mouse gives me when uh, killing scrubs at video games. Yeah, I, I, it was all right, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it was played a bit of it. The problem I had with it was that at the end of a map, end of a round, the camera would zoom up and like a top-down bird's eye view of the map, but you never see like the outside of the map is just like black. You just saw the the map itself. It looked really fucking bad. The locations seem alright, but I don't think it's worth the asking price. If it was a free-to-play game with some kind of microtransaction thing going on, then yeah, maybe I'd like it a bit more. That's about it. I will say it does play a lot better on the PC than with a mouse and keyboard setup than it does on a controller. That's interesting, because of course it was never really designed for the PC. No, but it lends itself more to the sort of Twitch reaction style gameplay like you know, a lot of sort of PC shooters, I think. You just don't get that from a controller. You know, I've played, you know, on a PS3, PS2, whatever, but you, you just don't get that level of accuracy from a controller that you do with a mouse and keyboard. Whilst we are on the topic of Umbrella Corpse, we've had uh, a question from seasoned Biohazard fan Vito. This was sent to Stars Tyrant by way of Twitter, asking whether we feel that Umbrella Corpse would ever be retconned in the future. I don't think there's anything to retcon because all it is is it's just testing, uh, you know, battle data and BOWs in, in simulated conditions with new equipment and you know the training of soldiers. That sort of thing's gone on throughout the series right since the very beginning. So there's nothing major to retcon, and that's why I think the game's ultimately fine because what it did present by way of the experiment, it didn't harm the cannon in the first place. Yeah, the, sorry, I'm just looking back. The question is, will it be ever made non-canon by Capcom? Ah. It'll probably be one of these things they'll just quietly forget about in the future. But there's nothing prominent that's going to have serious consequences on the games going forward. Like, why on earth people would think Wesker would be resurrected in a multiplayer shooter game is beyond me. You know, if they ever did, like, an Archives 3, I don't think it'll be included in it no. or anything. Do you think it might have, like, the one line that Dead Aim received? It might have a, a minor reference because I think they'll uh, they'll keep the zombie jammer, won't they? And obviously it features in the Heavenly Island comic, which has ties back to Lost in Nightmares, so it's always going to be canon. It's just a minor consequence. It's never going to harm anything. Capcom, to give them credit, they very rarely come out and say something's non-canon. I think they begrudgingly did it to Gaiden. They've never come out and said, like, Survivor 2 isn't canon. or they. I don't even think know. they ever clarified with Operation Raccoon City either. I know there's a few developer statements saying, yeah, it's more of a hypothetical story, but then you get the same developers in different interviews saying, yeah, it runs parallel to 2 and 3, and it adds to the story. I can't mm. recall if they've ever really come out officially and said, yeah, it's not canon. No. Imagine the headache we'd have if, like, Archives 3 did come out and um, Operation Raccoon City's in there. You know, I, no, no, I won't even, no, no. no. <laughs> fucking joke about that, no, mate. No. The next bit of news is Resident Evil 4 HD is available for PS4 and Xbox One. Has anyone purchased? No. 
Never will. I did, mm-hmm. only because I don't have a PS3 anymore. And it's fine. I think it's fine. It doesn't have any frame rate issues like Resident Evil 5 did. And it looks noticeably sharper than the uh, the last-gen version as well. But obviously still nowhere near as good as the uh, fan HD project. It's a port of the Ultimate HD. Yeah, it is, yeah, because it's a 60 frames a second version. There are early reports of a few minor hiccups with the aiming system. But as you said, that's no major frame rate issues, which should make the game quite playable. I demand 60 frames per second at least on every game I play. <laughs> Move on to a bit of uh, Resident Evil 7 news. Capcom revealed a new demo of the game will be available at the Tokyo Game Show, which is happening on the 17th and 18th of September. We're going to have um, presentations from producers Masakaki Kawata <laughs> and Tisoshoi Kan Canada. <laughs> Um, which, is, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> which is which is great. And we're gonna have a 20th anniversary series retrospective with new reveals on uh, Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. I'm sure everyone's excited about that. But more importantly, Resident Evil: Vendetta. I wonder if this will be where they announce this third mystery title, which they said they would do before the end of the year. Oh yes, of course. Resident Evil 8. There's obviously speculation it's Revelations 3 or um, the Outbreak port. That's been rumoured for a couple of years now. The Outbreak, please be Outbreak. It's interesting because on the um, official Facebook community page, they've been doing a few Outbreak-themed posts lately, which has got people asking a few sort of questions. They're just cock-teasing. They're just cocking the entire community. I'm getting excited about Outbreak HD if it did come out, but then I'm kind of shattered in the fact that it certainly won't come off uh, onto um, PlayStation 3. I think it'd be amazing if they did it. But then it would upset me, because if I then bought out a PlayStation 4 to play Outbreak, I'd then have to pay to play it, which upsets me even more. Okay, we'll move on to some RE7 news, which is kind of countering as our sub-discussion. We've had the... The US Entertainment Software Rating Board accidentally revealed the story of Resident Evil 7. So slap on the wrist to them. But you play as a character called Ethan, a man searching for his missing wife in a derelict mansion. Um, Apparently weapons will include the classic pistol, shotgun, explosives, uh, and also the return of the flamethrower, which is great. Have we seen a flamethrower since Resident Evil 1? Five. You've got to use one against Ouroboros. Oh, yeah. I erased that from my mind. And Chainsaw. (laughs) Get out. Combat is accompanied by realistic gunfire, screams of pain, and exaggerated blood-splattering effects, which is always nice, because that's uh, that's how it should be when you die in Resident Evil. Uh, That's subsequently been removed. Clearly, Capcom uh, have been a bit angry by that. And it kind of ties in with the lantern information and trailer thing that we've had recently. What's your views on this? The trailer was a like a three-minute video gameplay video which showed you it is a VHS section where you're chased around the, this sort of underground with that woman going up yeah, to the camera. Yeah, Mia video. is it? Is that her name? Mia. Yeah, Mia. She's being chased by Marguerite Baker, who is the wife of Jack Baker, who chased you in the first demo. Ah. So, what was everyone's views on the, on the lantern then? I liked it. It's almost exactly the same as uh, Alien Isolation. Clearly, these video tape segments are all flashbacks and I presume they'll show how each of the sort of NPC characters get captured by this family. I would say the video tape sections will be quite linear but I think they're designed to be because you always have to get caught at the end because it's the only way to end the video tape. So I believe those segments will play like Alien Isolation where you don't have any guns, there'll only be one enemy stalking you and the emphasis will purely be on stealth. But then the real-time game, which we haven't seen anything of yet, 
will feature sort of more prominent zombie type creatures. So I'm excited for it. I think it looks it's looking really good so far. Quietly optimistic. But you know, I think you're right. I think if, if those bits are linear, that will be fine. I do miss Resident Evil games which have the aura of being able to go where you want, even though no game ever has been. Um, yeah. A bit like Resident Evil Zero. You know, in the train you couldn't do a lot. You had to go the right way. But when you got to the mansion in Zero, the training facility, you've got this whole area and you go, wow, I can do anything I want. And then you kind of, the linear bit of the train was kind of offset of, of the non-linear bit of the mansion. It almost sounds like what you want is a sense of exploration and adventure in your Resident Evil game. Kind of. It's, it's hard because, you know, no Resident Evil game is open world exploration, is it? You know, you can't go everywhere in the mansion, but you can explore everywhere and you can find out where you can't go and then you make a mental note, well, can't go that through that door. Well, I agree. I think that's a good thing. Like, I, I don't want to see like, an open world kind of deal. I'd like to have, like, a nice big sort of mansion that you can explore and find out what happened, like a murder mystery, you know, that's... That's what in I your own seeing. time, in your own time, at your own pace, mm. and you, that, that, I think that's the biggest problem of five and six is that you don't get enough time to do anything because, because it's a roller coaster, isn't it? It's just sending you, you know, like a roller coaster ride. It's over too quick. I think the final game will play a bit like Resident Evil Three in the sense that you sort of have a certain amount of freedom to choose your own route through Raccoon City, but ultimately, you know, it's still from point A to point B, and I think. Resident Evil 7 will be the same because it takes place on this big plantation farm and like the surrounding swamps and forest land. So I think there'll be a fairly decent degree of freedom, but obviously there'll be sure. copious amounts of locked doors that'll keep you on the, the right path, so to speak. I think what was interesting, you know, even if the VHS sections are going to be linear, if they do kind of what they did in the the demo, way that you can use them to change things in the present, I think that'll be a nice spin. So if it's like Mia, for example, you can prepare things and set things up for when you actually explore there in the present. It's a nice continuation of like the partner zapping thing that earlier games have done. Yeah, and I think they've confirmed there's going to be numerous videotapes and they have sort of replaced the files, but there is also going to be traditional text files as well. I know we've got that basic story that I've just read out, but we don't know a lot about how this connects to the wider world. Um, uh, to be honest, I'm preparing myself for it to be in very, very self-contained, even more so than Resident Evil 4 was. I don't think it's going to add a lot to the overall story, but to be honest, I'm past the point of caring now because I think the story's, you know, it's it's running out of steam. There's nowhere really for it to go, so I'm quite pleased they're branching off into a completely new direction, and I just think the only sort of link to the main series is... This family are obviously, I think, they're the survivors of some long-past umbrella experiment. And for some reason, they've taken to capturing people. And I think in the Lantern demo, this Marguerite Baker makes mention of uh, this Mia rejecting some kind of gift that was given to her. Mm. George, what's your views on how Resident Evil 7's looking so far? That I need to be paying more attention because the news was only broken to me recently by Batman that there's this time travel issue with the gameplay and the, you know, and the significance of these VHS tapes. Nothing about the second trailer, has, I suppose, has given me any further reservations. It felt quite staged still, though, for me. I'm not even going to say linear, because it almost didn't feel like gameplay. A lot of it just felt staged. But I still, I, I love the whole atmosphere and feel of it. But again, it didn't really seem, it seemed to kind of pose more questions than answers again, in terms of, mm. is it going to be that, that staged? How significant is that form of gameplay? I, I don't know if I've missed something, but I don't feel like I've actually seen real hands-on gameplay and how this game I think by this stage with a game that will be coming out in January would have a much better idea of actually how it was going to play. 
Well, we've got Tokyo Game Show, which which is coming up, and that's going to have a playable demo. I put a post up on um, BioAge last night that I'm a bit saddened by some people's reaction to the sort of the way the marketing's been done. You know, and I, I think it's such a shame that people are craving to see so much, whereas I, I think the mystery of the fact that we've not seen anything is really working for me for the game's strengths. I, you know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I would really like to see how the combat and puzzles work, but I've actually changed my mind since then, and mm. I, I think I'd kind of like to go in completely blind in January and have is, no idea how the game's going to play or work. Isn't that indicative, though, of today's must-have well, yeah, um, but it's, I, I liken culture. it to the people who, who love these modern movie trailers. Like, you know, you've got your new Marvel film that comes out, and, it, and literally the entire three-act structure is played out within the two-and-a-half-minute trailer. Yeah. And then leaves you nothing left for the film. You know, as soon as the film's over, then you've got the trailer for the next film, or the little... Easter egg at the end, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, I'm so excited about that film!" And it's just, "What's next? What's next? What's next?" And it's like, oh. I think it's quite refreshing and, and quite it brave is. of modern Capcom of all people to uh, to sort of hold all the cards very close to the chest for a change. You know, like go back to as much as I like the Play God trailer from Resident Evil Five, it does show a lot of the game. Yes, yes, you could deduce quite a lot from it. So you know, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm almost hoping they don't show us any combat now. Because they release some um, of the technology that's in it, and they show quite a few screens there and some of the characters. I don't know whether you've seen that, Nick, from the technical presentation they did. Yeah. Uh, this picture's being posted on PU. They were showing yeah. off the uh, the new RE engine they've developed. Yeah, and and they look really cool. And some of the pictures of like corridors, and I think there's a gate in a garden, and that, and it it just looks really. They look. I've, I've linked it in the chat. Here. It looks really quite effective. I think. I think there was another bit of news. I mean, it, it goes without saying, but that concept. I think last year that came out with Claire and Chris or, or some characters uh, standing by what looked like an oil rig. That was a scrapped version of RE7. And we can look forward to seeing a, uh, a demo of it in about 11 years then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll obsess over it. Yeah. <laughs> 6.5! <laughs> another thing this, uh, this presentation Capcom did with the new engine, they've hinted at item boxes coming back as well. Oh, brilliant! It's, it's, yeah. almost, it's almost like I can't let myself start to believe that it's going to be quite good. Yeah, it's interesting the fact that have you guys talked about the, the tweaking of the VR? As they've said, the feedback to the VR has been quite negative in terms of motion sickness and things like that. So they've said they're going to have to heavily rework it in places. Well, that's really heartening to hear, particularly as someone who suffered with Resident Evil Five. Just even on a more general scale, that they're just listening to that type of feedback and they're acting on it. So that's definitely a good thing. I'm not sure, yeah, the returning of item boxes, does that automatically suggest it's a... It might be used in the outbreak kind of context where you just use it to uh, get an item high up. It's not confirmed, but it would make sense, because you're not. it's not like Resident Evil 5 where you're just sort of going on and on to new locations all the time. You're right. going to be in the same location for the duration of the game, I think. Yeah, and the, that... um, the demo shows how limited the inventory can be, because even like the uh, bolt croppers take up two spaces, don't they? Yeah. See, when you said item boxes, I was was with Sean. I didn't want to get too overexcited. (laughs) Isn't it it stupid that we get like this? (laughs) I don't know if I'm taking it too seriously, but that's almost the whole structure of the gameplay. Because as as you say, if there are item boxes, then it's not just mere item management. It's not just a presentation of an inventory. Like Batman says, you don't have, you know, that whole just episodic going forward. If there's an item box, then presumably wherever you, you dump an item, you're going back there, bringing you back. There's that exploration, but within kind of like a circle where, you, you know, you're always staying around the same general area, still exploring, but then there's the backtracking, which is what I love, you know, with the puzzles. 
finding one item in, on one section of the map but not being able to use it or its significance not being relevant to somewhere completely different the other thing that with the item boxes you've also got that other structure with the gameplay where you had the real survival mode depending on you know whether they're connected or not so there's that addition as well I just hope um, the puzzles aren't going to be a simple case of picking, you know, finding a key item and just taking it to a door. But we'll see. We shall, we shall, and we'll inevitably have further for the next couple of podcasts. Undoubtedly, we'll be bracing ourselves for Resident Evil Seven, a game that I still think, you know, it, it took us all a bit out of left field, should we say? No one was really expecting it to be announced, and then with the release date just round the corner. It's amazing, though, isn't it? I think I posted it somewhere else. I mean, if you if you take the plot description of Resident Evil 6, as in President of the United States is assassinated in a global bioterrorist conspiracy because he wanted to reveal the truth about Raccoon City, and then the sequel is Man Searches for Wife in Missing House. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? And yeah, But this game has got everyone talking, and I just mm. find that fascinating. But I think they pushed themselves into a corner, Capcom, because where else can you go? Well, you know, once you start bringing in world global bioterrorism and going to the four corners of the world with the gameplay sections, there was really wasn't it, anywhere else they could go, was there? No. It got too bombastic, I think. It got bigger and bigger until they couldn't really go anymore unless they went into space and did some big intergalactic <laughs> battle or that, something that like that, you know. I mean, I've only played the last sort of three or four games purely for the story, but this one is actually the first game in probably about six or seven years where I'm actually looking forward to the atmosphere and how it plays and how it makes me feel, as opposed to whether or not it's going to break canon or cause any continuity errors. I'm actually looking forward to it as a game. I've not said that about Resident Evil for years. I want that feeling of going, I don't want to play this game, but I do. I don't want to go through the next door. I don't, you know, I've just got the key to go outside to the plantation or to, I've got the key to go into the mechanical barn where all the farmyard equipment is. I don't want to do that. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to play it really. I don't, because that's how it used to be. You didn't want to carry on. You didn't want to go in the sewers. You didn't want to go into the park or the hospital, but you wanted to. <laughs> it was that kind of conflicting feeling. Yeah. And whereas I feel with other games, it was more of I genuinely don't want to play <laughs> play it's anymore. It's almost like in that game, curiosity can kill you in the game. Yes, because that's... you don't want to. You you it's like oh, I don't really want to do this, but I need to know what's behind that door. You know. But I've only got ten bullets left. What am I going to do? What if there's a big spider? Yeah. Shit. I think Batman's right. It's the uh, if they can nail that atmosphere, we are on to a winner. Okay, well, that concludes our kind of very brief sub-discussion on RE7 and then the latest news. We now move on to the main discussion and topic of this podcast. We're talking about Biohazard, the stage.
for anyone not in the know, Biohazard of the Stage is a theatre production running in Japan, which adds a whole new chapter in the Biohazard canon universe. It's currently available on YouTube, which is well worth the watch. It's just over two hours long. Uh, if you Google it or YouTube it, it's normally one of the top options that has English subtitles. Please bear with them. Uh, <laughs> they're a bit hit and miss. They're on par with Dead Aim with its subtitling, but if you stick into it and follow it, it is without doubt the best thing that has happened to Resident Evil <laughs> since... Oh, well, well, obviously since Revelations 2, because I love Revelations 2, but uh, in terms of storyline, this is better than the Revelations 2 storyline. It is a fantastic, fantastic production. I absolutely love it. I think it is a sensational, classic biohazard, and for the love of God, why wasn't this Resident Evil 6? Agree with all of that. <laughs> wow. Go on then, Nick. What makes it work for you where where all the other titles haven't? Well, firstly, it goes without saying that the main character in this is clearly Tyler Hamilton from Confidential Report. Uh, <laughs> bar a few letters in his surname, it is the same chap. Are you being serious? We actually went there. I'm being deadly serious. Didn't Tyler um, Hamilton get recruited by the government at the end of Confidential Report? Or am I just making that up? Let's look at the facts, shall we? Confidential report at no point says Raccoon City, I might add. It is possible that the incident that is referred to in Biohazard the Stage in the flashback, which happens in in Rochester in Minnesota, is in fact what happens in Confidential Report. (laughs) Did you just hear that thud from Mexico? I actually think Vito's just shot himself. (laughs) I think this is a brilliant storyline. Well acted. And we have the uh, one of the greatest characters that's been invented for the Biohazard series joining the list of people we hardly knew ye uh, of Posh Brown, who is, in my opinion, an absolute legend. He he, he joins up with Mike, the helicopter pilot from <laughs> before, and the tragic death of the comms officer in Revelations. He is certainly an invincible character brought down in the prime of his life. And with a name like Koch and a surname like Brown, what a hero. What a hero. He saves the world, in my opinion. But no, it is a fabulous storyline. I would recommend it to anyone. And it doesn't help that the actress for Sophie is rather attractive. (laughs) She's Japanese, though. Yeah, hence the attractive. Well, she's real for a start, not just a bunch of pixels. Uh, Sean, what did you think? supposed to be? Well, I've always had quite a love for theatre anyway, so I, I wasn't put off by the idea of this initially. And I just think it, it's, not, you know, it's not without its flaws, which we'll get to. There is a couple of things in there which you, you, know, you can nitpick, but it's a fabulous addition to the canon. I think the characters in it are really quite good. Uh, the storyline is a bit, it weaves on a bit and it, it, it likes to start piling the twists on in the second act. But, you know, ultimately, they don't detract from the good characters. And... You know, we're going. We're going to go into detail in it in, in, uh, very shortly. So I'll just finish off this little uh, opener by just saying, after all these years, welcome back, Becky. You are wonderful. Yes. <laughs> yes. Special mention to Rebecca Chambers as well. We'll we'll definitely go into that. Batman, what was your view? Yeah, I loved it. I was very impressed. 
I like stage plays as well, so I was very interested to see how it would translate across. But I thought it was very good. I enjoyed the characters. I thought it was well acted. The production design and the costumes were really good. Storyline was good. They used a lot of unused concepts. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but the whole sort of creating a virus from the fossilised human remains was actually the original progenitor virus story before Resident Evil 5. And Mary Gray reminded me very much of uh, Alexia Ashford, you know, child genius who believed she was something better than human. And I think Ryan Howard, as a sort of tragic anti-hero, is is a really, really good character. Mm. And, yeah, Yeah. like you said, the return of Becca Chambers, you'd think, because she's been away for so long, she wouldn't be recognisable at all, but it, it did feel like the same character from Zero and Resident Evil. So... Overall, yeah, I think it was uh, very, very good. George? I'm going to have to watch it again to get that... (laughs) No, no, to get that much out of it. I think some of my, it's not really criticisms, I think my failure to connect with it might be because, I mean, Batman says he likes stage plays, and it's not that I don't like them, but that was one of my issues. I kind of failed to connect with a lot of the characters and the atmosphere. For example, Rebecca, so delighted that she came back. Not so much her character, but I felt a lot of the younger characters just kind of felt like J-pop, you know, models. They didn't seem to necessarily have been picked for their acting ability, but it was a very hard thing to pull off and for it to come across as not cheesy. And that's one thing it didn't do. Mm. You know, I was quite curious as to what a a particular, like a large-scale zombie attack would be like. And I don't think it's until at least an hour in that you get one. And I thought it was very, very well done. And it was kind of not really a dance routine, was it? But it was done with sort of dance movement, wasn't it? And it was all sort of... But no, I... I might not be doing it justice, but it wasn't cheesy at all. And I thought they did that very well. And there were little things I loved, just little things when Rebecca's character went up to a bookcase. It was these books all on biology or something. And it almost felt identical, like they'd literally taken that out of one of the environmental, you know, descriptions. But on the whole, I found it, it went on a little bit. The point about the dancing bit was interesting. When I watched that, I, I assumed it was a preview to uh, the voice of Gaia, whatever was coming out at some point. But there we go. Um, Mr. Spence, you haven't seen it, have you? I have not, so I'm coming at this from a completely blank slate here. That's really useful, because what I want to do is try, for people who haven't seen it, try, for the help of me and Bats and everyone who's watched it, try and pin down the storyline. It is quite difficult to follow. We have flashbacks. We have flashbacks to the mansion incident. We have uh, flashbacks to a different period of time, a different biohazard outbreak. So, in terms of chronological order, the main researcher is Professor Liam Howard, Ryan Howard. The subtitles call him Liam, but his name's Ryan Howard. Ah, well, there we go. See, this is the problem with the subtitles. There you go. Ryan Howard. He's a professor. His wife died after their son Tyler was born. Now, he was researching into... Um, he tried to prevent... The, was it cancer or something like that? No, he was, uh, He was like... He specialised in fossil regeneration, didn't he? But was, was the resurrection it the age of... of dead cells. That's what he specialised in, and when Tyler was killed in action... He focused his research on trying to resurrect him. The funding stops on that particular research, and he was then approached by the Umbrella Corporation to join them, who would give him unlimited funding, should I say, into his research. In 2003, of course, Umbrella dies, and Ryan takes a copy of the T-Virus and flees to Australia. Prior to that, Tyler joins Rochester Police Department, yeah, because when Ryan joins Umbrella, they never let him go home, do they? So, yeah, so he, he never comes he back. He becomes a he? cop to search for his dad. Yes, that's right, yeah. And that's in the Rochester Police Department. There is a biohazard outbreak in Rochester, but we don't know a lot of information about that. Just that Rebecca's present there yes. as a BSAA advisor at the time. And she saves the life of Tyler, who is a police officer on call. 
but he is he fake his death he's reported as killed basically he finds like a, a data pad that proves the incident was caused by like ex-umbrella researchers which he doesn't want to believe includes his dad and because he found that evidence he gets recruited as a US government agent and joins the same agency under Adam Benford that Leon works for is that a DSO then? It's before the DSO was formed. It's just it, sort yeah. of got a generic sort of secret military agency title. So it's the agency that Leon's with in 4 with Krauser. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So then Ryan takes the T-virus, flees to Australia, and goes to Philosophy University. So the main story takes place in this university. Um, we don't know the full extent of the outbreak in uh, Rochester. Um, we don't know how it was brought under control. We don't know what caused it, really. I assume it's just another bright spot on the um, degeneration map. So you then kind of fast forward to 2005? No, the Rochester outbreak happens in 2005. The outbreak at the university happens in 2010. 2010, thanks. Thank you. I watched it in two bits and I forgot the first bit. Um the whole story kind of starts, I suppose, with the fact that there has been a lot of students going missing on campus. If I could just go back one bit. Before Ryan Howard left Umbrella, he took Mary Gray with him because she was the daughter of an Umbrella researcher who was dying of a uh, terminal blood disease. So, as like a last desperate measure, they injected her with the T-virus. Yes. And she became the only human to bond with it completely perfectly. Like, better than Wesker, better than anyone else. And she has an IQ of 200... Magic powers out of it, or just like a normal human? She's got an IQ of 230, but it's not clear if she had that originally, or whether it was the virus that did that. Because wouldn't it be great? Like, I want to see something where when someone gets given the T-virus, it doesn't change into a superhuman with, like, you know, whatever kind of deal. But it just cures them of like say cancer or this blood disease it just cures them but they're still a normal human as they were before well i noted you know i put it here in my notes similar to manuela in yeah. the kind of t veronica use yeah. the reveal about mary gray that's the big kind of reveal at the end so spoilers she is probably the main female character in the play she is infected with the t virus she bonds with it as you say perfectly and her intelligence is very high she thinks quite less of other people should we say that's a side effect of t virus isn't it mm. well it reminded me very much of alexia because alexia yeah. felt she was better than the rest of humanity and she was going to use the T-Veronica virus to infect everyone, wasn't she? And Mary Gray believes humanity is selfish and stupid and she wants to destroy them all by resetting the world. So it's, it's, it goes back to this sort of recycled plot of replacing humanity with a new breed of superhumans that they seem to be using in every nude game that comes out these days. Yeah, the, the resetting the world is a very common theme throughout. Mm. So, as I understood it, Mary Gray talks with Professor Howard quite a lot in trying to manipulate him and the uh, the rector, his name Rector Ezra, the chief. Yeah, yeah, he's the dean of the university. Yes. Um, yeah, Professor Howard went to him because Ezra believes that he could use the T virus to artificially increase the intelligence of humans because he believes that a human who has the desire to sort of learn and educate themselves to make themselves better will eventually replace a human's need for for war and conflict. But Mary Gray over time manipulates Ryan by saying look you've lost your son you're never going to get him back uh, and that sort of eventually makes him change the focus of his research back to bioweapons mm. and we do have a new virus in this game T. Howard virus is it actually called that? No. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just a new strain of T-virus, isn't it, made with DNA from the Irish giant fossil. 
Yes, Britain finally has a, a good connection to Resident Evil. <laughs> and that is actually the evil Irish giant it's meant to be, isn't it? It's been excavated, hasn't it? Yes, yes. The problem is you watch it, you don't know all this until you get to the end, so you're going to have to kind of think about how it all goes back afterwards. But um, yeah, so students go missing on campus, and we know Rebecca has previously been sniffing around the university. I think she went undercover there because she learnt that Tyler's father was working there, and she knew because of when she met him during the flashback that he was a former Umbrella researcher. So that's the reason why I think she went undercover at the school, yes, to, to yes, investigate she, him. Yes, because she goes there as a teacher, and she doesn't get on with Mary Gray, if I remember correctly. They have issues. But there's loads of other students involved, and it gradually turns into a full-scale biohazard outbreak with plenty of zombies, and then bees basically been stuck inside the university until the BSA turned up in the form of Chris and Piers. And I love Piers, I think he was so good. He was really great in this. He was exactly how he was. The actor who played Chris was really good in this, actually. He was. And we get introduced to a new BSAA member from the Oceana branch. Yes, Sophie yes. Home, And it's implied that the rest of her team are sort of securing the university from the outside. And there's also a police detective character called Barrington, who Ezra hired to discreetly investigate the missing students. Yes. Um, because he doesn't want any damage done to the reputation of the university, which is a, an obvious reference to the same mm-hmm. plot point from Mahawa Desire. And it's revealed that Ezra is bribing Barrington because he's just your sort of typical flash detective who is corrupt and has a love of money. Yes. And, and I thought it was a nice touch that he was suspicious of Rebecca from the outset because he noticed she was always going to the Fossil Museum where Professor Howard worked and this prompted him to do a background check on her and he discovered yeah, she was a STARS member. I thought that was really good. That was a bit lost on me why he initially... That, that suspicion that comes up when he sort of, sort of mentions, ah, oh, I've, I've noticed you sneaking away to look at the fossils. I mean, what? where it just seemed unfounded i didn't quite get that why he was so suspicious of her i think it's just because she's turned up as a new teacher at the school and she teaches in the science department but she was going to the fossil museum which is at the other end of the university yeah yeah and when he found out she was a former stars member that's when he got suspicious of who she really was Mm. So it then picks up with basically them all exploring different parts uh, uncovering the truth about who's doing what they split up it was weird I was just sort of getting into it, and then the zombies just seemed to turn up out of nowhere. Mm. And I still don't think it's fully clear... How they get in. How they got out. Was it Professor Howard, or was it Mary Gray? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is sort of things that have been lost in the subtitles, really, Mm. isn't it? Because that was the thing that I was thinking. Some of the subtitles, there seemed to be a lot of... Sometimes it seemed like one of those sketches where you'd see a lot of speech being said, and then the subtitle would be like just a few words. Um, (laughs) So I I was wondering how much even the subtleties of some of the scenes and, and the dialogue between characters, whether that, you know, that was being lost in the, the, the subtitles were quite, I mean, it's good that they were relatively basic because, you know, you're taking your eyes. So that was the other thing you're taking a lot of the time. You, you want to look around at the way that the actors are interjecting with each other, particularly their facial expressions and anything that can be intimated by that. And that's why I actually thought initially, maybe I'd missed something else that had gone on as to why that chap, why suspicions were arose in Rebecca so soon. I think Barrington, he didn't need to be in it at all. You could easily remove him from the storyline. He didn't add a lot. I didn't mind him, though, too much. No, 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 no. I thought he did his villain role quite well. So the story progresses with them splitting up, encountering various human survivors, lots of them being eaten and uh, turning into zombies. Clever use of of a limited budget in turning them into zombies. Uh, And then we meet the best character in the world, Posh Brown. (laughs) 
God. Uh, <laughs> it is the, the security guard who's not doing very well and hiding in cupboards. <laughs> but he redeems himself. He does. He He's given he's, a backstory. He he's given more characterization than fucking Jake Mueller is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's wonderfully portrayed. But ultimately, he gets killed as well. And we are told... The, the backstory that we've just kind of alluded to about Ezra wanting to uphold the dignity of the university as a university that he founded himself. He has an adopted son called Matthew, who is also the university's secretary. He hangs himself. This is where I did get a bit confused. Well, he's also tested on, isn't he? And he gains an IQ, doesn't he? I don't know, because that... This is, I mean, I was saying this to Nick before we started recording. Matthew's character was the only thing that was confusing me, really. I didn't really understand what his motivations were. On subsequent rewatches of this, I noticed things you don't notice the first time round. Like, if the focus is on a pair of characters having a conversation, you often see one of the other characters in the background mm. talking with someone else. Like, there's a few times where you see Mary and, and Matthew together talking. So I think she was manipulating him somehow. And he tried to convince Ezra to use the T-Virus to create perfect humans as bioweapons. And it was Ezra's rejection of this idea... That led to him hanging himself. Yeah, because he's pretty down after that, isn't he? Yeah. He drops to his knees. That's yes. how I saw it, and then obviously Barrington tries to frame him as the murderer, doesn't he? Yeah, he gives Barrington a scapegoat opportunity for the whole incident, which he uses as a bartering chip with Chris, isn't it? Yeah, to blame Matthew or causing the outbreak. Yeah. yeah, so he basically says to Chris, if you just wipe out all the zombies, I'll let Rebecca go. I know, because Rebecca's freed herself at this point, hasn't she? Yeah, but that was his original plan, wasn't it? Yeah. When he first took her hostage. Yeah, but essentially it's a battle of ideals as to what the T-Virus should be used for. Yeah, you've got the, the kind of goodies with Ezra wanting to use it to um, infect people to uh, increase their intelligence. I really quite like that element because it, it sort of almost reminded me of maybe a better narrative for Resident Evil Zero where you could have had competing going back to the creation of Umbrella and, and perhaps maybe, you know, these three sort of competing scientists, you know, what they wanted to do with, with the virus, rather than just all speeding ahead being maybe the first to create a BOW, perhaps, you know, some wanting to, to use it for good. So I, I thought that was very good, a very good plot point. I think Ezra was completely ignorant to what the T-virus actually does. Yes. I mean, I got the impression that Ryan Howard's just turned up on his doorstep and said, look, I've got this virus, this is what it does, and he shows Mary Gray, this uh, young student with an IQ of 230, and I think Ezra's goal was just to see a race of perfect humans who just had such a hunger to further their understanding that it would just eradicate all war and conflict. Yeah, because, I mean, he's quite a tragic character. What's interesting about a lot of the character motivations in this with the sort of villain side of it is that they're not just, like, power-struggling crazy people. Their pasts are actually rooted in a lot of sadness. Like, you know, Ryan's past is, is, is driven basically through him thinking he's lost his son and Ezra because he lost his parents when he was young. And they've actually tried to make a not justifiable motivations, but at least so you can at least understand a little bit where they're coming from. I think you're right. I think that's a um, perfect thing. You know, he, he, if he's been shown Mary Gray, someone look, have the T-Virus, look how intelligent they are. That's what you want. You want clever people going forward. Well, I think it's because he was never given the opportunity to be anything other, was he? Yeah. That's why he chose to be the runner of the university. So he had a, a place to give people who didn't have opportunities opportunities but the real big bad was professor ryan he was mad I think. only through grief through grief of his son he refused to acknowledge that his son was alive even though he's presented with him i think by the point we meet him in the, the stage he's long past yes so much so that he caused the biohazard outbreak 
Yeah. I'm not quite sure how, but he did. It was through Mary Gray's manipulation he started experimenting on the students because she struggled to build up relationships with people because she knew she was better than everyone else. And I think at the end, doesn't he, he says, well, I've done it all because I wanted to punish the world for taking away my son. Mm. And there's some nice little subtle things in there. Like, he absolutely detests Barrington because Barrington's a, a detective and he hates the police because the police killed his son. Yes, yeah. There's two scenes, isn't there, where he basically begs I'm your son and it's completely ignored, isn't it? Um, so he's the big bad and he releases the virus. We get, in terms of BAWs, we get zombies, but then we are then presented with a tyrant. Yes. Considering the limitations on actually being able to have a live tyrant, I thought it was quite good. Admittedly a bit too kung fu. That's I'd more re- to do with the theatrics of the play, though, isn't it, than anything? I thought it looked better than the ones in Operation Raccoon City. <laughs> I was instantly reminded of the damnation tyrant. It's a Mr. X, but yeah. in a, with a kind of black limiter coat on. It's almost like he studied the movements of them in damnation, though, because like when he starts like running, mm. he does that sort of initial slow jog to a yep. sprint that they do in damnation, and it almost looked the same. I was quite impressed by that. Yeah, I think, and that's maybe one simple way why they can get across the heaviness and the weight of the body perhaps without having the size because they're limited by that. I think that's quite a good use of, I suppose it's mime or whatever it is. I, I like that movement, it's good. I think it's worth so, saying on the whole that the choreography and like the fight sequence is very, very good actually. Yeah. They were, to be able to time it quite well with obviously all the music and all the sound effects of being punched and things. It was impressive. It was very impressive. So he released the Tyrant. Tyrant doesn't last long. That's probably my only nitpicks, which again we'll get into later, but when they dispatched it quite, not easily, but um, I remember I clicked ahead when I first sort of watched it just to, you know, when it first came on the internet and I saw this big monster at the end and I, I was for sure thinking it was going to turn up at the end. But in the end, it just it just disappears. We're sort of given this promise that it's a new tyrant with the new virus strain in it and yeah. they, they managed to kill it before its limiter coat goes off and I just think, oh, it's, it's a bit of a shame that. Yeah, I think that's just the obvious limitations of the stage play, isn't it? Yeah. So after dispatching the tyrant, Ryan Howard is killed. It's a false end then, isn't it? You think everything's fine. And then Mary Gray turns up and basically reveals the storyline which we've just talked about, how she's basically been in charge. She's the uh, perfectly bonded T-virus creation. Pierce and Chris try to say, you know, don't worry, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, you can live with it. bit similar to the character from the second Resident Evil movie, by the way, bonded with the T-Virus. Was it Angela? Ashford? Uh, <laughs> fucking hell, we went there, didn't we? Well, I did think that. So, she then gets a bit peeved off. She, she's very good, very handy in a fist fight as well. I was almost expecting her to suddenly have Wesker powers. Well, but... I was wondering if that was kind of implied, because... Do you think it was? I think it was, because the character's sort of, you know, the point in the guns at places where she's not there, as if it's implied she's sort yeah. of zipping around at super speed. There was something very up with that, because I was wondering where the hell are these... Well, not the superpowers, just yeah, just the fact that she was kicking ass, so, and everyone, sort of their actions just seemed to be so ineffectual against hers. And again, I thought, I must have missed something in, in the subtitles. She, she must have had, you know, these Wesker powers, it... Well, we'll come to her because she's an enigma in itself. But anyway, they have a fisty fight and then they think they've stopped her and she seems to reflect on her sins, should she speak. But then she goes, the world should reset and she then mutates. She forces herself to mutate, a bit Sergei Vladimir-esque, yeah. into a big... 
it's hard to tell what it is. It reminded me of the uh, the Nyx from Outbreak File 2. Because mm-hmm. if you look closely, you can see a human form still stuck in the middle of it. Yes, yeah. Similar to how the Nyx absorbs the tyrant, and you can see it sort of stuck in the middle of its chest. Yes, that's an interesting, yeah. I thought it was a bit similar to a big Lisa Trevor. It definitely had tentacles. I say it's difficult to make out because they do it, um, if, you, if you watch it, they do it behind a kind of screen with a kind of image projected on it. It probably looks quite clear if you're sitting watching it live, but it was, it's quite hard to tell what it is. But she's ultimately defeated and killed, and uh, then it all kind of ends nice and happily. Everyone walks off before a nice little teaser at the end with Ezra picking up the briefcase. Briefcase with the new virus in it, yeah. Yes, with the virus. And then it ends. Ready for Resident Evil Vendetta, is it? It does say to be continued, so um, we shall see. So that's a very, well, I say brief, that's a bit longer than anticipated. That's uh, <laughs> the breakdown of the storyline. So, if we take the characters in turn, because I think people will be interested in how they're portrayed, we'll start with Rebecca, because that's the headline figure. Rebecca Chambers is back. And I think we've already touched on it earlier, saying how well portrayed she was, in that you instantly knew it was Rebecca Chambers. The actress played her very well, very vulnerable. And it just makes me hate RE0 that little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Because this is a perfect portrayal of Rebecca as seen in the match instance. Remake or re- original? Remake. Get very vulnerable, very slightly scared what the hell's going on. And you get a wonderful flashback with Chris. Flashbacks. It's just worth saying how well the flashbacks are integrated in terms of the play as well. Because yes. they kind of play some projected video, don't they, to yeah. make the character appear twice while they're sort of narrating a flashback. It's so cleverly done and then they'll just walk back onto the present day set. In their cool costumes, I might add. Yeah, the mansion flashback was... It sounds stupid, but any long-time fans will know what I'm saying. You just get goosebumps at things like that. It's just, wow. It's a wonderful kind of portrayal of Rebecca and Chris, for that matter. I'll give the uh, actor who played Chris credit there as well. And throughout the whole thing, you felt with Rebecca that this was a perfect continuation of her storyline. In the same way, I think that Claire's story carried on well by joining TerraSave. That's the exact type of thing you think she would have done. I think Rebecca was perfect in the way it was portrayed. And it, as I said, it just makes me hate Zero more because the horrors she went through in Zero bear no relation to what we saw in um, Remake. But yes, I, if you like Rebecca in Remake, then I think you'll like how she was portrayed in this. I thought the costumes overall, and this helped with, particularly for me when I did fell to connect with a lot of the characters because I don't know for me they again they uh, maybe it was a bit reading the subtitles so you couldn't see you know any subtleties in their facial expression again a lot of them did look sort of quite young and good looking rather than sort of actual acting ability but um, I, the costumes I thought were really really good you know Rebecca's those are the sorts of things that can come across as looking a little bit you know amateur dramatics like you know it's all a bit second hand but I don't know I think I remember Gene Venables mentioning the costumes and things these were sort of high production values for the Oh, you know, the, the rides, what are they called? Uh, the real, I has the real. Yeah, so I'm not sure if they were have the same production company that made them, but yeah, I think their costumes were really good. Well, the Tyrant, it actually looked like a B.O.W. I thought it was, although a bit short, you know, they've obviously got the tallest person they could find, but uh, it was convincing as a B.O.W. Uh, Batman, what would you say about Rebecca? Um, like I said before, considering she's been missing for God knows how many years, you know, watching her in this for ten minutes, it felt like she'd never been gone in many respects. Yeah, I'll agree with that, yeah. Um, I'd like to have known a bit more of what she'd been up to since Raccoon City. Obviously, she joined the BSAA as a consultant, but I would have liked to know what else she did on top of that. But uh, filling in as sort of like a, a university teacher teaching science or medicine, you know, that seems like a natural fit for someone like her. 
And I found it interesting how initially she was reluctant to shoot the zombies because they were her former students. Mm. And I suppose that just shows how rusty she is because she doesn't normally do field missions. But uh, yeah, very impressed. Sean? Yeah, I like how it. I mean, I've always had a always had a soft spot for Rebecca because I always used to play the Chris campaign in the original. And you know, one of my biggest sort of criticisms of Capcom over the years is the um, the lack of using characters like Barry and Rebecca and like in the space of two years, you know, which is like 19th and 20th year of the series respectively. We finally sort of starting to get answers. I just look forward to like seeing more of the backstory fleshed out. Like uh, John said, I'd like to see. You know, if Vendetta is what we're thinking will be a sequel to this, then I'm hoping that we'll actually get to see a lot more of what she's been up to. But she's certainly, you know, she's wonderful in this. The only thing you could say is that she's made a little bit redundant in the second half. Yes, for people that don't know, she, she's held hostage for a small period of time. And yeah, you could say that Chris and Pierce kind of come in and steal a bit of her thunder. I would echo that, you know, Rebecca fans, it's uh, it's the moment you've been waiting for. And of course, Rebecca is due back in, it is Vendetta, isn't it? Yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah. And what I liked as well um, is the fact that it's implied she is still very much part of the story, because if anyone's expecting a big moment between Chris and Rebecca, you're not going to get that in this. It's heavily implied that she's been an advisor to the BSAA for quite some time, so you would naturally assume that they see each other quite often. Yeah. But... You know, anyone who's not seen it yet, the flashback to the mansion is a real treat. Yes. It really is. And it works well. Also, her flashback to Rochester. Obviously, we have no idea what happened in Rochester, but I, I think it, it really emphasises her kind of caring nurse-type background, the medic-type background that she's had. And as you said, it, it makes sense that she's been an advisor for a long time, not wanting to do missions just to help where she can because she's had face-to-face experience of BOW combat. It would make sense that an organisation like that would um, want to keep her on board. I do wonder in the future whether we'll have other media outlets about what she's done in in the meantime. Who knows? Vendetta is obviously something to look forward to. And hopefully there'll be some references to it. I assume where it says to be continued that it does mean Vendetta. But who knows? Um, So we'll put Chris and Piers together, just because these are our two main BSAA agents that we all know already. I love Piers. I think he's such a cool character, and it's a travesty that he was killed off in six when there was no need. And it should have been Chris, but neither here nor there. And it's things like this that, that really make that decision by Capcom to kill him off far worse, because they're actually giving him backstory. But that's what makes it better, in my opinion, because you actually care when he does die. But I didn't want him to die, though. Yeah, but that's that's what makes it good. If you don't want him to die and he dies, that, that shows it's worked, essentially. Whereas the problem we have most of the time now is you don't care when the characters die. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's almost like they, they're sort of almost regretting the decision that they killed him, so they're actually saying, well, let's give you a little bit more, make you care a bit more. It started with Revelations 2, that one line from Claire at the end. That was like, ooh, ooh, that's harsh. You know, I can't remember what she says, just like... Yeah, and the thing is, he gets the girl in this as well. And he gets the girl, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he gets the number of Sophie. Sophie Home, is that her surname? Sophie Home. Sophie Home. Yeah. But yeah, Piers is cool. He uses the rifle already. You know, they get all the character facts right. He's BSAA sharpshooter, isn't he? And He's got his little cravat. Yeah. And it was good because it showed him being still enthusiastic. I won't say rough and ready, but kind of like, you know, on edge. And a bit like, yeah, come on, let's do it, do it. It's very similar to his RE6 character, which is a good thing, because I think he's probably one of the best things out of RE6 myself. Okay, what did you want to say about Chris? Just that outside of the Edonia sequence, this is the first time, um, the, the sort of the only time you get to see Chris between after the events of Five. 
and he seems a lot more sort of at peace with himself. He actually deals with a few things in the stage through actually like talking it down. For someone who is a man of action and punches boulders, yeah, to actually like you know actually see him reason with Tyler and talk him down and get him on side is a bit of a far cry from the sort of almost desperate person he's become in five. Ilio's mm. you know, a little bit reckless and you know like when he sees Wesker in Lost in Nightmares he just like loses it he's so driven by what he wants to do and this is you know Chris actually he doesn't seem as focused in you know just punching things very hard as much in this one he seems to want to try and sort of resolve the situation as best he can um, and I just thought it was a nice he's still a man of action don't get me wrong he's still a leader and he's still focused on the family of his unit but it felt a natural progression after five which makes his fall in six now a bit more tragic what i like about the series resident evil and a lot of people will know this is that you get a game like four and it's things after four that enhance four mm. yep and i think that's what the stage has done with six a little bit it's actually improved aspects of the characterization in six and you know, I think that's just a very masterful thing, which given the amount of input, the amount of writers, the amount of different people that contribute to the creation of this series, the fact that it's quite a solid timeline in terms of characters and things like that is, is a miracle, really. Yes, yes. It does seem to have a habit of this, doesn't it, with the major numbered games needing to be improved later on through other mediums and <laughs> needing other games or whatnot to save it from being completely irrelevant. But there we go. Would it have not been a good idea? I mean, there was lots of dinosaurs in this and fossils. I wasn't clear. Did the DNA come from dinosaur fossils? No, it came, it was the it came Irish from giant. Yeah, the, Irish the, giant. the Irish giant. I wasn't sure if that was a translation error of a dinosaur in Ireland. They said it was found in a mine over 100 years ago. And the Irish giant? Yeah. Is that just a tall human? It was just an unusually large humanoid. And he took DNA samples from that and spliced it with the T-virus, which is how he created his new strain. Okay. But I just found that interesting because that was the original story of the progenitor virus. It was found within a fossilised human. I wonder if that was deliberately recycled. Okay, let's move on to... Uh, we'll stick with the BSA, Sophie. Um, yeah. <laughs> she is very good looking <laughs> it's not just that it's not just that I mean you know it, it, she is extremely attracting lady but Resident Evil again you know another lavish more praise on this series god they do get some cracking female characters in this series mm. you know she's not just eye candy she's actually you know she's a very strong very independent character and you know she's in it quite a lot you know she's nearly a top billing cast member really given the yep. screen you know stage time should I say and I think it was good to have some other BSA because obviously with Resident Evil 5 you know when all the BSA came out you had just had the North American branch and the West Africa but o- over time we've had more and more creep in so it was good to have the Oceana branch which is great which is great because it's exactly where it should be this is the type of thing that you would expect the BSA to turn up to and that, I like that continuity of that. Strictly speaking, it wouldn't it be their jurisdiction anyway? Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah. Did, do they have an Asia branch, the BSAA? Yes, Far Eastern branch. Doesn't make much sense why Chris is there in China, but hey. <laughs> I thought Sophie was a good foil for Barrington. She was like the only one who sort of stood up to him because Chris and Piers just tried to appease him, really, whereas Sophie was the only one who just said, yeah, you're a dick. <laughs> One thing I lost watching it, and again, it's down to the subtitles more than I think it is the direction or anything like that. I wasn't entirely sure what her injury was or where she got it. I think she got it at the sort of weird Japanese dance sequence at the start of the second act where there were tackles. It's not a bite or anything, then? No, I don't think so. No. Because Rebecca heals her with some some green herb. I know, I know, I know! (laughs) 
<laughs> Did you notice Chris in his uniform? He had the little sort of green and red vials from Resident Evil 5. I didn't. No. Yeah, he's got the green and red herbs in like liquid form from Resident Evil 5 on his vest. I've got the stage running in the background just so it's jogging my memory. Yeah, so so I'll, I'll have a look. Um, and I love the first aid spray. It, just, it doesn't work. Well, it's because it's he's already become a zombie at that point, really, hasn't he? Yeah. It's on my list of plus points. Yes, the use of green herbs or herbs uh, was, was especially high on that. So uh, well, a minor character, we'll go back to Poshbro. He's a legend. Uh, yes, he he was given the spray, but he was too far gone. He was bit. That was at the party, wasn't it? Was it the party, the musical bit? No, he gets bitten in the first scene. He turns up he, where they uh, where they find him hiding in the bathroom, and that crawling zombie comes out and bites him on the I, leg. I wasn't sure he got. Oh, I think I he, he, he gets bitten bit. there, but he doesn't. Te- none of the others notice, and I think he hides. Ah, it. okay. I think he you can see it. it. I, I think I know it's it. Yeah, because okay. he's sort of holding his leg for a second, isn't he? Yeah. So, Paul, what was what was your views on the BSA agents as characters in this? Did you think they were accurate? Like I say, I had an overall problem generally with the characters all. Just for me, feeling a little wooden, the only one really that stood out, I suppose, was Rebecca. I found the police chap investigator that had his you know initial suspicions of her seemed a little bit over the top for me, almost like pantomime-esque. It didn't, certainly didn't come across as cheesy, it just, like I say, it felt a little, everything felt for me a bit muted, but again, I, I felt, well, this is very much me watching it over YouTube with subtitles, and you know, actually maybe there in the theatre, I would have connected with the characters a lot more. Okay, moving on to uh, Ezra then, we've touched on his, perhaps, naivety as to the T-virus. I don't know if he was a seasoned actor, but I, th- I think, he, he, think he played... Yeah, Sonny Chiba's a massive actor in Japan, he's been in um, the Battle Royale sequel, he was Hattori Hanzo in Kill Bill, um, who gives oh, yeah. Thurman the sword. Oh, wow. Four, he forges it for I didn't her. notice he, that, I know the chap you he, mean, he's fantastic. Oh, wow. A massive Japanese actor. He's like the, the bloody Robert De Niro of Japan, if you like. I did what a who for them to get him, then, I'd imagine. Uh. I did think he put in a powerful performance at times. Him and uh, Tyler Howard put in quite good emotive performances. See, that doesn't surprise me in the sense of the... Also, I, even without recognising him, I certainly preferred the performances of the older actors. It was most of the younger ones that, for me, didn't kind of l- l- lacked like the depth. Well, he has been in a lot, hasn't he? Bloody hell, yeah. That Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> he had quite a good backstory, didn't he? When it showed that little flashback at the end of his parents getting shot in the war, and, and that was done yes. really well, actually. Yeah, quite, you know, visually done. You know, with silhouettes and things like that. It was, it was and very impressive. His whole philosophy was built on the. Uh, because he said he went to work in the rescue tent moving bodies and one of the medics said to him, he said, war will always continue because humans never learn mm. from their mistakes and that's what makes him live his life the way he does. Is it a bit of a, a failing of the stage, therefore, that he was that naive about what the T-Virus does? Yes, he may have been presented with Mary Gray's, look, give someone T-Virus, they become super intelligent with the willingness to learn. But, you know, he would have known about Raccoon City, he would have known about bioterrorism, he would have known about what generally yeah, it does. Because Raccoon City and Terra Grigia would have been called out as big T-virus attacks, wouldn't they? And degeneration. Exactly. Potentially, yeah, I mean, you get the impression, don't you, that when the zombies start showing up, he knows that Professor Howard has caused it all, because he gets angry, mm. doesn't he? But I think he just doesn't want to admit it to himself, because he's so blinded that in the right hands that the virus can be used for good things. Which is, is something that the series hasn't really touched on yet. Which no. It's a bit of a breath of fresh air. 
Yes, no, that's true. Rather than it, the virus just yet again being used as sort of a black market tool to, to get as much money as possible. Yeah, and he adopted Matthew, didn't he, from an orphanage because Matthew had an outstanding IQ and because he was an orphan he didn't have the environment around him to educate himself, which is one of the reasons he built the university. So I think it's a great backstory for a series which has primarily, over the last ten years, been about presidential assassinations and president's daughters being kidnapped. And and I think we have to give it credit to be able to get that amount of backstory in for all these, because there's a lot of characters in this, yeah. you know, in, in such a short period of time, and it's actually portrayed in a quite a believable manner. It's an ambitious story. It does trip itself up a little bit, like... There's a big deal made of Barrington trying to keep it on the lowdown and he doesn't want the public to find out what's going on. Yeah. But then in a completely separate scene, Sophie says, oh, the entire university perimeter is surrounded by BSAA soldiers from the Oceana branch. So someone's going to see them and wonder what's going on. So, yes. you know, it does yes. trip itself up a little bit from time to time. So moving on to Tyler, I thought, uh, especially at the end, he's quite cold and calculated and it, it, it didn't seem much of a stretch of acting, but by the end when he does have his confrontation with his father, I thought that was very powerful and believable. And just wanting to say, you know, to tell his dad that I'm here, I am alive, but he just wouldn't accept it at all. I thought it was very good. I quite like the mystery that surrounded him at the beginning. I think the mystery about the character was one of the things that, you know, really sort of drove it for me. I was going to say, yeah, I was thinking back to what past comment Batman had said about why he liked the first game, and it was sort of like an investigation mystery, and I sort of thought of that when I was also reminded of the way it played out in the first half hour, in the way that The Walking Dead's latter series have been more about the battles between the humans rather than, you know, the, the zombies, and to begin with, there was a lot of that sort of mystery, and, and the enemies at first, to me, all the sort of the main antagonists, you know, were, were humans, and I was waiting to find out what were zombies, or, you know, and a viral outbreak even going to play a part in it, because it all seemed to be like conspiracies between the various human characters mm. yeah I think on the whole it, it's a grand success I would say I preferred the first hour more than the second yeah the irony's not lost on me that um, you know a series famed for being about sort of zombie survival and this main second hour is about that and it's my least favourite part of it <laughs> Yeah, I would agree with you there. When it's a sort of power struggle between these individual parties, it's quite fascinating to see all the sort of little secret meetings going on in the independent parts of the university. Rebecca sort of goes up the steps and then Eve drops some conversations. Uh, Yeah, it's very different halves, isn't it? When you have the intermission, it definitely changes gear. Yeah. Because Tyler spends most of the first half following the others, doesn't he? He's just sort of hiding yeah. in the shadows. And the only person he really interacts with is Mary. And she thinks she has a connection with him because he says he doesn't feel alive. Yes, yes. So the main perpetrator of all this is Ryan Howard, who is the father of Tyler and the creator of the T. Howard virus, or whatever it's been dubbed by Newsbot. He, he was a maniac, really, wasn't he? Through the grief of the loss of his son and... I think, again, that was played very well because you weren't quite sure as it went on. You weren't quite sure what his intentions really were. And I think it was only right up to the very end you kind of then worked out, actually, he, you know, he's a bit of a jackass. Uh, it's just a tragic anti-hero, isn't he? I mean, he's not out-and-out out evil, is he? Cause no. I, I think he mentions it towards the end in his exposition scene. He said that he knew when he was working for Umbrella that the work they were doing was illegal and wrong, but he just thought, you know, if I complete the research, get the money, then I can provide, you know, a proper life for my son, which is all he wanted. Mm. And it was Mary's manipulation of him when he lost Tyler and he, you know, he failed to bring him back alive. That's what ultimately it, drove him mad. It's implied that he frantically searches for the corpse, and I think the frustration of not being, not, you know, imagine a parent who loses their son, but 
but you know you can't obviously confirm the death because you can't find the body. body yeah, yeah. You know, so it's in a sense it's like missing an action more than it is actually killed in action. Yeah. What did you think, George? Did I understand it right? Those sort of shades of Javier and, and Manuela. Mm, yep. That's a good and call, I, actually. I've not thought of that. I mean, you just reminded me of that, Stars, when you mentioned about the desperation. That he wasn't all out necessarily bad. And I really like that when Resident Evil do that. They pull an antagonist out that isn't just all and out evil, the way that maybe Wesker became and almost from the start. You know, he, he was very much like that. So, yeah, I thought for me, I thought there was there were shades of that and, the, you know, the desperation. I enjoyed that bit. We'll move on to Barrington. Interesting name. <laughs> He's fine. I mean, he is just like the disposable bad guy, and ultimately it meets a disposable death, if you like. But um, I found him fine, and I thought he was played reasonably well. He had that sort of um, that typical just sort of slime ball actor playing him. Uh, you know, he was the actor everyone loves to hate. You know, and um, but he 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 was fine for what he was, which was a foil for the characters in the first half. Yeah. While the main sort of intrigue was happening, he was the one who was sort of causing yes. all the problems, and that and that's fine. Which is why he's dispatched fairly quickly at the beginning of Act Two because he sort of served his purpose. It was quite refreshing how he was just in it for the money, though, because yeah. I was fully expecting him to try and steal the virus and have some sort of reveal that like he was working for some rival corporation or something. It was, <laughs> you know, it was nice that it was just a he was just motivated by greed. And as we know, too much greed weakens an organisation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So finally, uh, Mary Gray um, is one of the main characters. Again, we've touched on the fact that she's a bit like Manuela in that she bonded uh, with the virus. I think my main issue is a bit what Sergei did, how she was able to mutate on command. I find that quite strange. And why she didn't necessarily mutate into a tyrant either. Well, did Sergei bond perfectly with it then as well? Personally, I just think Sergei injected himself. In Umbrella Chronicles, we just don't see it. Don't... That is, that's always been true, isn't it? Yeah, Wasn't but there... in, in Umbrella Chronicles, it's it's portrayed as if he's just talking to Wesker, and then he suddenly just triggers his mutation automatically. But up I... until that point, you're not even aware he is infected with anything, are you? I don't think he's infected at all until Wesker confronts him, and then he injects himself with the virus. Because you know you can't. The T virus doesn't work like that. You can't trigger your mutation on command like you can mm. with a, a dominant Plaga mutation. Until Mary Gray. Well, in Mary's got that thing on her wrist, doesn't she? That uh, continuously injects her with the virus. So she might have just pressed it and taken an overdose. We don't really see, do we? Stuff like that could be lost in the subtitles, though. That's very true. Until we get a, a solid translation, it, some of it is still a mystery, which we must stress to people listening. We're still not yeah. in complete possession of the storyline or the facts because the subtitles are a mess. I will add as well that the subtitles on YouTube don't match the subtitles on the official DVD. I should say yours are probably a lot better. They are better, but there's still plenty of mistakes in them. That's a really good point you made, though, because they do make a big point uh, of Ezra cuddling the um, the severed arm of Mary at the end. And it, it does note that, that red thing on her, on the wrist... You know, perhaps that is a point. But t- does viruses work like that? I mean, this would be something that I suppose the doctor can look into. Well, that being injected with a lot of virus, does that make that? Should that make a difference? Well, I think it's mentioned that uh, the workout a treatment plan. Ryan Howard, and when he was still at Umbrella, worked out a treatment plan, and that device on a wrist injector with precise amounts of the virus. I suppose it's similar to that thing Jill has on a chest in Resident Evil Five. And I suppose similar to what Wesker has with. Yeah. PG. Yeah. And I suppose at the end you could maybe argue that because she didn't give a shit anymore, she just pressed a button and injected too much. 
I don't know. It's it's almost a wonder that you know if the device got taken off her, would she actually sort of be less psychopathic? Yeah. I suppose you'd just die a bit like the progenitor. um, The virus amplifies something, you know, within a personality or whatever. Because Manuela doesn't have anything like that, does she? She doesn't have a device. No. I do wonder, as you mentioned earlier, I do wonder if she does have some form of superhuman powers, which is suggested in the fight scene. That's what it comes across like to me, anyway. I say it has to be, because I was actually thinking, you know, was there any back reference to any, you know, martial arts training she had done? And there was even that scene when someone actually holds a gun and then they seem to be firing, pulling, aiming, or yeah, they were trying to get that technique across that she was, you know, the speed was too much for them. Because, you know, Chris and Tyler both have some good fights throughout the play, but she seems to just, you know, yeah. chuck them she around doesn't seem with, pro- yeah. with, with very yeah. little effort. Yeah. At one point, she sort of takes the gun off Rebecca and spins around, yeah. and the actress who plays Rebecca sort of turns on almost slow motion yeah. back toward her, and then as she faces her, Mary just sort of leaps away. I did like the little kiss she does on Rebecca's gun. Cool. Yeah. There were points when she seemed to be mocking Rebecca and you know, sort of laughing at her, and again, I wasn't sure if that was coming from the dialogue or if that was like extenuating the fact that they were just so ineffectual against her because of the superpowers. That was really good when she was sort of laughing, and you could really yeah. tell she was struggling to stay in control. I will say, I love a lot of Japanese cinema and things like that and uh, the women in particular and like the girl in this is a prime example of it, they can do insane so well. Yeah. (laughs) But I suppose overall it should be commended. The acting is is good, it's feasible, uh, it's Mm. believable. I think theatre is one of those things, I'm not a big theatre goer, that's I've been once, but you get into it. You get if you're there, you properly get into it. So I went to see um, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, something like that. It's bloody sensational. That was a very high production piece, but you you do get into it. You know, even if the stage remains exactly the same as it does in this the whole time. You know, what have they got? They've got one step, two stairs, a balcony, and a couple of rooms. But they're able to use, you know, the clever lighting techniques and clever use of videos, and you become immersed. And and certainly the flashbacks help enormously in getting the, the right feel of, of Biohazard, which uh, I, I think should be, the director should be commended for doing that. Yeah, I've seen quite a lot of theatre and I've been to quite a few productions and um, I think the production value on this was exceptional. The way they use projection on the sets is really clever. Tay can instantly go from flashback to sort of present day. And the great thing I like about theatre, and it's so much more immersive than, than the cinema, in many ways because it asks you you have to sort of pay so much more attention because it asks so much of your imagination yeah you have to just sort of completely fully immerse yourself into that world and even though you can sort of see the set sliding in and stairs move away yes, you have to yes. sort of be able to sort of not see that in the corner of your eye to concentrate and I think and they did a great job of that because what they do is they do put so many little things in the background to distract you from the set changing uh, like a character lurking in one of the archways or whatever so while your eyes are drawn to that they are actually cleverly changing the blocking and things like that the actors I think it's very well done and and considering the amount of action and gunplay and things like that although the guns obviously don't have any flashes or anything it's still done very well and it's very good that you know they have characters going down the aisles as well to to make the stage that bit bigger and another thing we've got to touch upon 
this is no joke people who've seen it and it works we've seen it and I can, can stress to you it's not cheesy it works perfectly there are door sequences yes it's on my list it's on my list <laughs> yeah you, they do work very well like, that was one of the sort of little things that were fantastic that they took from the games to the point where I was wondering did they even get that fossilization and the origins of the progenitor story you know in 3.5 I'd also say there's another on my plus points with, along with the herbs and the first aid sprays Rebecca continuity storyline and the door loading sequences uh, the use of files and diary entry oh the typing on the set that was so good it was just reduced to a few text messages on a phone I was hoping yeah. to get proper files <laughs> I wanted, I wanted Ryan's diaries and all sorts <laughs> Dario like, oh, that's a big ask I think that's a big ask and I think for what they did I think it, it captured the moment and it captured classic biohazard very well what frustrates the hell out of me is that in, in a stage production and this this shit is hard to get right they managed to put in classic Resident Evil references and things like that without it being on the nose like the Paul Anderson films are. You know, it's almost like there's a big fucking neon sign above the event in a Paul Anderson film, which is like, <laughs> hey fans, this is Resident Evil, look. I've got the newspaper from the first Resident Evil game here, look. Let me hold the yeah. camera on it that much longer so you can be sure it's the right newspaper. Yeah, yeah. You're right, because when she goes up to, the, I think, the bookcase, if you didn't know of that reference, it wasn't out there, was it? You know, it, it just looked quite normal. But for those in the know, it was a nice little reference. I liked when they were searching around the different parts of the university, it brought the map up as well, so you could yes, see where... Yes, yes, oh, yeah, it's so good. Them. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. And, and again, then... it's not like the fucking hive and all those, the thing that he does when you see them going down the elevator. Did you notice a lot of that styling almost felt like almost old-fashioned? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And what about when Chris went up to the Irish giant and moved it to reveal a oh, secret God. door? And the noise, the sound and effects. The is, he's and then the, doing the same pushing, the yeah. ceiling trap. Yeah. The crushing ceiling trap. All it needed was a shotgun on the wall. I was These waiting, are the but... guys we want writing Resident Evil 7. But doesn't this frustrate you that Paul yeah. Anderson has had millions and millions of dollars to do this shit and a stage production, which doesn't look massively high budget, You're has right, done it effortlessly. We can joke about it, but actually there's a serious point there. You're right. The amount of budget he gets to do what he produces with that budget, that you know, and, and, and that Capcom associate their name to, and they're associated their name to this as well. And, and you're right. Look what they managed to achieve. I hope that's not lost on Capcom. I really do. Yeah, the map was great. The uh, the crashing bit was good. I was waiting for Barry just to suddenly yeah. turn up for no it, reason. When, <laughs> when Chris pushed the Irish giant, it was almost like watching a puzzle unfold before your eyes, I wasn't know. it? But as you said, it flowed so well, and it just it didn't feel forced. It felt, you know, there's a secret lab in this university. All, all it lacked was Rebecca typing something on a typewriter and we'd have been there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think even something like a piano scene would have been... Well, you get a piano scene, don't you? But it's like what you said, though. It's It worked because it wasn't on the nose. Because they could have very easily put, like, a typewriter in the background and, you know, loads of stuff and really oversaturated it with references. But the... It was its own story. Yeah, with, they got with, it with just nods. about right. And, of course, I love the fact with absolutely no explanation, Rebecca turns up, oh, Chris, here's a rocket launcher. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> one of the more tenuous bits, to be fair, but... <laughs> But it's the right way about ending a POW's life at the end. I just thought, and it was, it looked like the rocket launcher as well. It was a, yeah, it's a nice bit. Of... I will just assume that uh, an Oceana branch person ran it in from the outside. <laughs> I don't care. By that time, I was so happy that I just let that one pass. I was like, yeah, of course, there's a rocket launcher just hanging up on the wall. Let's put this one down to Rebecca. She figured some weird shit was going on, and she knows in any biohazard outbreak, you need a rocket. I launcher. need a rocket launcher. Doesn't Chris give us the keys to his to his van? Or maybe. Am I, am I making that up? 
can't remember. Just give her the keys at some point, yeah. So maybe, she, maybe she gets it from there. And of course, he carries rocket launchers in case Wesker suddenly gets resurrected. Ooh. Ryan Howard's little mutation was quite good as well. That the, looked uh, amazing. Given the restrictions, yeah. For people who didn't know that, they kind of do a thing, they, they black out the person's face with the lights, and then they put a kind of computerised image of them then turning into a zombie. It's quite a clever technique of being able to show a transformation without getting that person off stage and then putting his, in makeup. Um, his arm swells as well. Yeah, and rip, rips yes. through his lab coat. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I don't know how he did that. Um, I assume it's just a compressed air into an inflatable. Mm, because he injected himself with his virus. Yeah. It was the T. Howard, so we kind of saw what would happen to that, but we don't know if he would have mutated even more. Because Tyler goes uh, a bit, bit crazy and kills him. Yeah. With gun nuts, I'll appreciate this, that they even do their research with the weapons in this. Tyler is carrying a, a Beretta M93R, which is the gun that Claire has in Code Veronica, and he fires it in bursts. Bloody which hell. Is, which wow. is Brilliant. Is I wouldn't correct. have known that. Oh, wow. And um, Barrington has a rather nice revolver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I assumed it was a cult python, but I, I could be wrong. I don't know enough about guns. It's interesting how Chris didn't trust him straight away enough to remove the bullets. Yeah. Mm. But then still gives him a loaded yeah. laser sight firearm. Yeah, yeah it didn't, <laughs> didn't really work that bit. So in terms of the plot moving forward, it, it's one of these very self-contained storylines. But we think there may be some consequence going forward with Vendetta. Hopefully well, there's a reference. Well, if nothing else, the play ends with a uh, to be continued. Why does and... the case start beeping at the end? Oh no, I assumed it was a bomb. Yeah, I thought I thought it was going to blow up and kill him, but then I thought, well, why would it do that, and why would it say to be continued? Because the vendetta is his. I'd say if the vendetta is a direct sequel to the stage, that would be incredible. I don't think it will be, but... But then, you know, why bring Rebecca back? Coincidence is just too much, surely. Unless they do a sequel stage play, because mm. I think it was quite successful in Japan. I think most it's... showings were sold out. Is it still not on the go? No, it, it ran for about three weeks yeah, last, right. last year, last winter. Oh, okay. If they brought it to the West, I would, I would go and see it. Oh my God, I'd be there in a heartbeat. I mean, obviously it'd be probably the Western actors, but I just—it's it, funny because I said I've been watching this in the background uh, while we've been talking about it as well. I've just got it running on on another screen, and um, it's actually at the, the mid sequence battle, the music thing, um, and it just reminds me of like one of those big battle sequences you get in anime. Mm. That's put to music like the opening credits of an anime, where it's all sort of swirly backgrounds, and it's really cool. <laughs> and they almost give like, yeah, it's just the bit where it's it superimposes sort of the profile slow mo bits over the action in the background, and it looks it's awesome. <laughs> it's really awesome. If I remember, you do get a, a bit of a um, a kind of RE1 original biohazard kind of very burp. Yeah, it is kind of like that. It doesn't announce the name. <laughs> no, and I must say as well, while I was just on the topic of the sort of montage bits. The sequences where they have the umbrellas are so well done. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was being too harsh on this, but it was just it was too easy for me to say that's so cheesy, just, you know, using an umbrella. And, and I almost felt that they were going to start, you know, break into a dance routine. But you like... I'll admit, it, it gave me goosebumps right at the start when <laughs> when all the umbrellas just flipped open at the same time. You you liked it? Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I loved it as well. Actually. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. No, I think, I'm, <laughs> think I'm, I'm just being too... Yeah, I don't know. But that concern you had there, Paul, is interesting because we do know now that they are pursuing a, a Biohazard musical. Yeah. 
and that's the kind of thing you know you're probably going to see in spades. <laughs> that song at the start of Act Two is sung by the actress who plays Sophie, and it was the song used to promote Resident Evil Zero HD. Wow. She's a, she's a famous pop star in yeah. Japan. I just found out. Can't remember. What the name. I've shared the picture of her earlier. Can't mm. remember what the name of the song is. It's Rachel. Is it Rachel? That's it. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. Wow. But I think one thing that gives me heart if they do go down that route with a musical and just for any further stage plays, I think overall for something that I think was an extreme challenge for them to put across and just even to come across without being you know too cheesy or just over dramatic, um, I, I think they've done really really well with it. Yeah. So the big question is, does Resident Evil work in a stage play format? Absolutely. Yeah, it I think works, it, it works better than a couple of the numbered titles. <laughs> well, certainly better than any of the live action films we've seen. I was surprised how action-orientated it was. I was expecting more of a slow-burning mystery story with a lot of sort of exposition. I wasn't really expecting a full-on zombie outbreak with BSEA soldiers running around and that sort. Didn't you feel certainly the first half, sort of three quarters of an hour, very much felt like that though? It did. I was I was disappointed because I felt the zombies turned up far too early. I was just sort of getting to know all the characters, then all of a sudden these zombies started showing up. I wouldn't have minded an extra sort of 10, 15 minutes just getting to know everyone. Because I agree with Sean, I think Act 1 was a lot stronger than Act 2. And it felt like towards the end of the play, the shoehorned in a lot of exposition to explain the characters' backstories. Like, they all seem to take turns being held hostage, <laughs> explaining the life story, and then one of them mm. would escape, and then someone else would do the same. And Yeah, I would have I would have liked it to have been a bit more of a slow burner at the start. I would have liked a bit more gore. I will caveat all this by going, I'm being extremely nitpicky. I would have liked to have seen some fake kind of blood go, <laughs> when they got attacked, but that, that really is interesting. It's also interesting to see the, the return of Resident Evil Degeneration, quick zombie changes came back, i.e., I've bitten and I turn into a zombie within seconds. That was another thing, wasn't it? Because Posh Brown didn't change for a good hour, whereas Barrington changed straight away. Yeah, I think I that's think... always been inconsistent in the series, yeah. though, to be fair, yeah. hasn't it? And I yeah, think depending yeah. on the scene or, or the plot they're sort of trying to pursue or go down at the time, I think that's going to determine. I don't think they do that a lot with The Walking Dead, which is frustrating. It needs must. Then someone will need to turn that quick, you know, just because of the, the, the point in the story. It's implied in the beginning of Resident Evil 2 that the lorry driver turns almost instantly. Mm. You know, how can you still be driving a lorry whilst turning into a zombie? Mm. But then, you know, each human's different, isn't it? Um, you know, Mary Gray's someone, for example, we're going to add on the list of unique T-virus kind of mutations and whatnot. So why can't someone can take days, as we see in the Arclay Mountains? Okay, so um, before we go to kind of our final wrap-ups, we do have a call-in. Yes, we do. This comes in from uh, PU member Lou, L-E-W. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear what he has to say. Um, hey, guys, it's Lou here. I know it's been a while since the last podcast that I called in on, but um, I saw you were all watching by the stage, and I just wanted to give a few thoughts. Um, I was actually really excited for this thing, mainly because I knew some of the actors going in. Um, they've been a few of the uh, superhero shows, the Japanese superhero shows that I watch. Um, so that was one of the big drives for me. And I was also kind of going in anticipating it and being a train wreck, but you know, it turned out to be a pleasant experience. I was actually very, very happy with it. Um, if I had to say there was anybody who really stole the show for me, it was probably, um, you know, there were two people I would say. Um, the first was Yuji Kishi, who was the guy who played Ryan Howard. He He's a favorite actor of mine, so he was phenomenal. He was incredibly hammy, and it was just 
perfect, perfect, perfect for him. Um, Rinaska, who was Rebecca, also really surprised me because she got the character down pat. She was a dead ringer for her, and I, I just loved it. Uh, I think over... Oh, and also, obviously, um, Sunny Chiba as Ezra was phenomenal. Just... He delivered cradling a rubber hand at the end, even though I was cracking up at that. I, I think he did just a great job. Everybody did. Just everybody did such a great job. Um, as far as the plot's concerned, I liked it. Uh, at first, I didn't like it so much, but when I rewatched it the other day, as part of a series playthrough I'm going through, I liked it more. I think it's a very good biohazard plot. I think it's a very, very good um, story. And I love the idea of it basically being a game, that they are going through the Philosophy University and characters are getting picked off. You get the files, you get all that, and I think that's great. Um, if, I, if I had to say there was a part that didn't work, it was probably the Howard family thing, just because it felt like a typical Japanese soap opera misunderstanding of, My son is dead after being a cop! Please ignore the fact that you're right here in front of me, son! I made bioweapons to bring you back! And it's just like, I, I get it, but it was kind of... It was kind of silly. The logic was contrived, but I did, I did love the the final scene of um, Tyler shooting Ryan. But yeah, um, that and the entire info dump at the end about the intelligence and the virus, it didn't do it for me. I thought it was a little ridiculous and overdone. But eh, what can you do? I did think Mary Gray was a great character though, and her actress I can't think of her name. She was part of that AKB48 big pop idol thing in Japan, so I didn't expect her to have acting chops, but she did when she kind of just goes totally unhinged at the end, just rambling on and on and kissing the gun, kissing Sophie's gun and all that. It was, uh, it was great. Uh, the production values were awesome. The costumes were wonderful. Loved it, loved it, loved it, especially with Chris and Piers. Um, it was kind of funny hearing a ton of recycled RE0 and 6 music, and the, the thing that killed me was the fight scene with uh, the J-pop song, which is sung by uh, Sophie's actress, Rachel. Um, it's called Until the Justice. And yeah, it's basically, it's a promo song for RE0. So they slipped that in there and it just was killing me that they had that sequence. It just, I lost it. Overall though, um, without rambling on too long, I think it was great. The, again, the atmosphere was wonderful. Um, I thought it was just really intense. If there was if there was anything I think was hit or miss, uh, the only other thing was um, Posh Brown and the comedy there. Uh, very Japanese comedy. I mean, it it's the kind of thing I'll either love or hate. I didn't think it worked that well. And also the digital stuff didn't work too great either with the CGI jeeps and the projected zombie faces. But at the same time, the tension, the action, the choreography was great. Um, and this idea of just having a nice little side story to give us some closure with Rebecca and to give us a little nice little side story to show Chris and Piers' early missions, too, was awesome. And Piers was awesome. I thought Piers was awesome. And on top of all that, it was nice to see Piers getting flushed out a bit because, you know, he was being a little flirty with Sophie. And that's actually kind of how he is from what I've read of Marhawa Desire. So yeah, I think it was great. It was like Batman said of, you're gutted more. Um, by Piers' loss by the time you get to six, if you go in the order, story order. Anyways, yeah, I think that Biohazard the Stage was great. I would love to see a sequel, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. So thanks again, and y'all take care, and happy 20th anniversary to the series and all that. Later. I will not hear a bad word against Posh Brown.
But aside from that, it was interesting to hear the caliber of the actors. And I enjoyed the yes. fact that he had a, a real insight into who these guys are that I don't. And made me just on that point alone want to kind of watch it through again. Maybe I can concentrate a little bit more on their performances and have to worry less about, you know, re- you know, reading the, the subs at the beginning. So you can do both at the same time, obviously, but just about. Yeah, but uh, do you do focus a lot more away from Of course, it? yeah. But that's true. When you're first watching, you want to know the story. And so, as you said, you're concentrating on that. But now you know the general gist. You may be able to watch it for the... Mm acting he's right about the posh brown humor though because i mean i see that humor in a lot of japanese games like the, you know the phoenix Wright games has eccentric crazy characters like that and you you know they are characters you either love or hate i think we sometimes forget you know resident evil is i think for japanese game is is very westernized and in an interview that's out there angus waycott the morpheus duval voice actor i remember he was he was mentioning about how some people sort of view japanese culture as, as sort of almost funny because it's different but it's not actually humorous it, it's just you know it's, it's quite eccentric to us and I can imagine those characters are a lot more prominent in other video games and we don't so much get that in, in Resident Evil that feels very westernised. He was right about the uh, Ryan Howard, Tyler Howard thing as well. After only five years Ryan should recognise his son especially yes. when he's got an identical pendant round his neck and the goodbye letter he wrote him. Yeah. Grief stricken. Your hypothesis earlier was probably correct. By the time we see him in the stage He's so down that path. Yeah, I suppose. That's what you would say to justify it, I guess. But it's interesting that um, he found that it was closure for Rebecca, whereas I actually see this as the beginning of them reintroducing her in many ways, especially with Vendetta on the horizon. You yes. know, uh, well, thank you, Lou, very much for that call-in. That was possibly one of our most informative call-ins yes. we've ever had, just because, obviously, Clearly's got a, a significant vested interest in Japanese action films and actors, so that input is really useful to know. And, yeah, great. Thank you very much. So, please send more people. I've just had one... I've just literally just put on Twitter, does anyone have any questions while we record? And Vito's been on again. Go on, then. What's Vito's question? Um, he's just asking, what's up with Piers' BSAA joining date? The stage oh, yeah. states joined yeah. in 2009, but six states he joined in 2010. That's what he's asked. Yeah, there is a continuity error there. The files in Resident Evil 6 state that Pierce joined the BSA in 2010, whereas the stage player actually makes an error in that regard and says it's 2009. Oh. Chris becomes Alpha Team Captain in 2010 and recruits Pierce because Pierce was serving in the army at the time and was becoming quite disillusioned and Chris took note of his uh, superior sniping skills and recruited him. So yeah, that is an error in the stage. Is that just a Western translation error in 6? Or? No, no, that's uh, in both versions of 6. The stage players just got it wrong in that regard. It should be 2010, not 2009. So while we're on it quickly then, just to say we've covered every base, um, you'll be better than this than I am, John. Uh, is there any errors that contradict the direct canon in this other than that there is one other minor issue I picked up on but I think again it comes down to the script and the translation the characters seem to get mixed up about when Umbrella collapsed um, there's a bit I can't remember exactly what the wording is now but there's a bit of dialogue to suggest that Umbrella was still around when the outbreak happened in Rochester in 2005 yes. which obviously can't be the case but other than that uh, no everything seems to be fine I don't think there's any issues with the canonicity of the stage play. We've got a very firm exact date for when it happens, which is set nicely between the end of Resident Evil 5 and sort of six months before 
Resident Evil Damnation. You've already explained the natural progression with Chris's character. Um, there's no issues that's... with Rebecca being a, uh, a BSAA consultant. So No, there's nothing in there at all that breaks canon. There's just one or two little continuity errors. The date with Pierce is the most obvious one. It's worth pointing out that this actually does take place on the 12th of August, is it? Yeah. 2010. Um, I was was just literally flashed the date up in front of me and I'm not getting it. Which way do Japanese do their dates? Is it the same as America? America, It's not the 8th of December. No, yeah, it's Americanised, yeah. The wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Um, So, yeah, Vita also asked a question on PU, whether it's been confirmed as being canon 100%. I don't think Capcom have uh, speculated, but I think if you look on the cast list on the website, there's definitely some Capcom Japan staff members who supervise the story and just the fact that they've made such a big effort with it to make sure it does fit nicely between 5 and 6. I don't mm-hmm. think there's any issues with it. I think it's definitely 100% canon. We've just had a question from uh, JJH Steinman uh, at BBMac on Twitter. Uh, might be a bit late. What do you think of where Rebecca has ended up and what do you want to see for her in the future? Ooh, um... I'd just like to have the backstory elaborated on a little bit in Vendetta. You know, see exactly what she's been up to. And um, whether they use Vendetta to bookend the character and finish her arc, so be it. At least we'll have some idea, really. The fact that she's a consultant for the BSAA isn't all that surprising, but because she's only a consultant implies that she's been doing something else alongside that. So I'm hoping Vendetta will reveal that, but something like a teacher role or a, you know some sort of uh, paramedic or something like that would suit her background, I think. The problem with the CGI films is that they don't normally get people's characters particularly exciting, uh, Leon being the standout doll. He's the only one who's pretty much in them, though, yeah. isn't he, to be fair? Um, I will say this, though. Um, I think they've handled Rebecca extremely well. And your comparison earlier of um, her being likened to Claire, and that is a very natural role for mm. her to go in, as opposed to just a woman of action like Jill. Mm. Well, thank you very much for the question. More people want to tweet or send questions about any of you, that would be great. So, uh, marks out of ten, and your general feeling as to the production George Trevor definitely promising for the future if they try this again and I was pleasantly surprised particularly with some of the things I felt would have been much harder to pull off with the zombies and things that weren't cheesy at all I would give it 7 out of 10 okay and I reckon I would on a further watch through I'd probably creep that up as well Batman oh yeah I really enjoyed it it was it was better than what I thought it was going to be um, if I was being extremely nitpickety I would have liked a bit more music from the series rather than just the same two tracks from Resident Evil 6 and again if I'm being nitpickety I would have liked some more elaborate sets but I suppose that comes down to the budget and the changing locations but overall I thought it was a good story I thought it, while it was quite standalone it added plenty of sort of nice little nuggets to the overall universe building aspects of the uh, of the canon so overall, I'd give it eight and a half out of ten. Sean, you reminded me of a point there. Actually, I wanted to say how much I like the fact that they put Resident Evil Six music in there. I thought that was cool. Um, my only real nitpick is mainly sort of little things like the tyrant. Um, just the fact that it's just sort of dispatched and then forgotten about. But then you know, tyrants can die without breaking their limiter, so I guess that's fine. Survivor. Yeah, and uh, Resident Evil Three. You know, you get to see the dead ones in the battery room that haven't broken their limiter. So you know, things like that are fine. For me, it was just a hugely enjoyable slice of some canon biohazard, and all I kept asking myself was, and you've said this before, Nick, uh, I think you said it before I did, why isn't this Resident Evil 6? 
this is a cracking story. This has been perfect. It's just, you know, you could have even done a nicely atmospheric game around the university. Yeah. Dare I suggest there's aspects of Tall Oaks University, which almost showed you the potential of that sort of environment. They could have easily made, you know, there's enough story there to make this into a proper, a really good six-hour, eight-hour game. And the fact that I think all of us are, you know, nitpicking to find fault is an illustration as to how successful the production has been. In my opinion, this is up there with Revelations 2, which, as you know, I love Revelations 2. And this is something I want to own on a DVD format with, you know, Western subtitles <laughs> properly done so we can all... Because I think everyone needs to see this. This isn't a case of, like, Biohazard the Real, uh, which everyone would enjoy, but, you know, not that major. This is this is major piece of work that it's simply not fair that Japan gets it and we don't. And I hope everyone does take the time to watch it and get into it. And I, I think it's great. And I personally would give it a nine. As I said, just hearing what you said about a westernised version would just be so wonderful because some of the voice actors themselves are actors in their own right and theatre actors. And Riva de Paula, who plays Rebecca Chambers, she's a theatrically trained actress. Mm. And um, yeah, how wonderful would it be to see her performing as Rebecca in the stage play? Uh, if they brought it over here and I, I think there's every suggestion to say that it would work well because I, I think they pulled it off really well with this first one it really pisses me right off that you finally get something that has the biohazard name attached to it that's genuinely good and yet outside of people who listen to this podcast people who frequent Project Umbrella it's going to be genuinely unknown to the fan base to the cosplayers and the fucking speedrunners that are being promoted so much on the Resident Evil pages at the minute, you know, and yet, you know, this is something that is genuinely good, and yet in the West you get Umbrella Core. Yeah. You That's know. an interesting point, because you would have thought, yeah, wouldn't you, that if there, if it is available, is it is it officially available with subtitles? Because if so, yeah, you'd want to expect to see it on Capcom's main yeah. feed. Only from PlayAsia. I, yeah, I imported the DVD. It's quite... Uh... It's quite expensive. Um, is, is it good with features? Do you get some behind-the-scenes stuff or anything? You get, yeah, you get behind-the-scenes stuff, but none of that's in English. There's oh, no shit. subtitles for mm. that. You're right, Stars, because have, has there been any reference to it whatsoever on any official Capcom <laughs> no, well, TV outside of Japan? Be. I've just finished adding it all to the Biohairs timeline, and I know when I release it, people will send me emails saying, why have you put that in? It's not canon. It's a Japanese <laughs> stage play, you wanker. Oh, get your... Get, yeah, get your... <laughs> <laughs> just we get your wanker email. Well, I think that's been a really, really interesting look at it. And as I said, I, I would uh, urge everyone to load up YouTube and uh, and uh, take a couple of hours to watch it. So with that in mind, we now move on to the season finale of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. New format. New questions. And new challenges. Each broadcast, a new quiz to test the resolve. Neptune's Biohazard Quiz! Playing this week are 
Batman, Star's Tyrant, George Trevor, and Mr. Spencer. As it is the season finale of the podcast, we do have final scores to be dealing with. So looking back over the past season, the leaderboard looks like this. With zero wins, it's Mr. Spencer and George Trevor. With one win, it's Stars Tyrant. Uh, Rombie has two wins, but sadly can't be with us this evening. Uh, With a staggering eight wins, it's Batman. So, Batman, you are currently leading. If we convert these wins to points, you have eight points. Stars Tyrant with one point. Mr. Spencer and George with zero. God, it's so... The, the Can the three of us team up <laughs> against him? However, Biohazard quizzes beware. This is not the ordinary quiz. Oh, no. So hold on tight. Open up notepad. As we play the Series 3 finale quiz, a question of Biohazard. Cue the music. Oh god, fuck off, Subaka. You were so obnoxious. I hated Question of Sport. Anyone who has watched a Question of Sport will know some of the formats that are used. We have two rounds, gentlemen. The first is the always popular scoreboard, and the second is Home or Away. Questions are courtesy of USS Command, Crimson Elder, and Vito. So I have to say, we've got some toughies. We start with round one, which is very much based on Biohazard Survival Door, which of course is that very popular mobile phone game. So we have a board of ten, and players will take it in turns to pick numbers, and I will read out the correlating question. It's a point for the correct answer, but you will lose a point if you give me an incorrect number. Um, I will say from the outset that the questions vary from easy to ridiculously difficult, and there is no correlation between number ten being ridiculously hard and number one being very easy. It's completely random. So we'll start with the current leader with eight points. Batman, please pick a number between one and ten. Ooh, number number ten. ten. Who was the police officer investigating the theft of the jewels in the RPD? Oh, Marvin Branagh. Correct. Hey, very good. Jesus, it fucking fake. I didn't even have time to go on Google then. I <laughs> because answered. it's such an easy it, question. I, yeah. Anyone who's played the fucking game knows that. I, I, well, I did warn you previously. Does Tarrant pick a number between one and nine now? Seven. seven. Let's see what number seven is. Where is Brad Vickers' hometown? Oh, it's in a file. It's in the EX file in Resident Evil 2. And I fucking can't remember it because he talks about the flowers. And I can't <laughs> fucking remember it past. DeSala or something. Delicia or... Correct. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, it's correct. Point to stars. Mr. Spencer, you can have one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, or nine. Two. Ooh. <laughs> Question number two. What is the helicopter designation of the BSAA helicopters in Resident Evil 6? Jesus. <laughs> 
fuck it. You know what? Just fuck it. I passed Pass. that. That's bullshit, yeah. That's incorrect. Bullshit. The answer was, of course, A88. George Trevor, your turn. Uh, number three, please. This is a good question. In Resident Evil 6, Chris <laughs> is grabbed by a civilian in the first level. What does it say on this person's T-shirt? Is this when he's walking through the streets and he's like pushing press cameramen out of the way? I love New York. Good shout. It's to be That's or not to be, that is the question. Back to Batman. Number eight. Oh, God, I don't believe this. Who is Bravo Team's point man? <laughs> oh, come on. This is ridiculous. That's like... <laughs> is it Carlos Oliveira? Horace Spire. No, it's Kenneth Sullivan. Bollocks. I'd have got that fucker right as well. Jesus. You, you always panic me, Bats, when you say a different answer to my card. Not happy. Angry. Deducted a point. Like, Back to know. Star's Tyrant. Four. As you know, Sheva has a tattoo. There is a text in that tattoo. What is it? You may need to know yeah, Swahili. I don't know. It came up in the bloody ambassador quiz on the email the other month. Did it? Um, I can't remember. Yeah, it, I'm sure it was a question. In the, I can't remember. Though, I don't know, honestly. Pass. It's Shuja. Which I'm means... Means courageous. Uh, yeah. You lose a point I'm, there. Stars. I'm pleased I didn't get that question because I'm, I'm not allowed to get questions right about <laughs> tattoos on female Resident Evil characters. I get accused of cheating. <laughs> Still sore over that. <laughs> Like, honestly, pick a number. One. Jim. What Can't is just... the badge number of Sherry in Resident Six? That is ridiculous. I don't even think I've looked at the badge number of Sherry in my life. I didn't even know she had a badge. <laughs> what do you actually mean? Is the that freeze framed in a cutscene? I didn't even know Sherry was in Ori Six. <laughs> Four digit number. I think they're clever. It's not even funny. Four six seven one. Oh, I don't know. Zero eight two four. Of course. Unlucky. I'd like to know a single person on the entire planet yeah. who would have got be, that. Mate. I don't, yeah. I don't it's almost be, like people are deliberately going out of their way to get like the most obscurest they thing. Are, they are. Mm. It's a question. So, uh, George, for your final one: five, six, or nine? Does it matter? Uh, nine, oh. please. <laughs> Number nine. Describe Forest Spay's tattoo. I've got one Resident Evil toy because of the art of a zombie. But if he looks at it, that's cheating. Am I allowed to look at it? Where is it? Do you even see it in the game? Oh, he's got the cut, the, the 1980s cutoffs, hasn't he? I don't. I pass. I wait. Uh, no, pass. Is it a tattoo of stars? The stars badge. No, it's a sword through red wings. There we go. So I will say there's two, there was for Rombie two more questions, which I'll say for another podcast. So let's have a look at the scores after round one. The scores on the doors. Batman still on eight. Stars Tyrant still on one. George Trevor, Mr. Spencer yet to score. <laughs> with Batman on eight and the nearest to him is on what one I can't quite see uh, the point of any of this this fucking let's move, joke <laughs> let's move on to round two it's home or away you were almost a jill sandwich so this is very important was that the one where it's set on a beach <laughs> yes was, was that <laughs> Is that an Australia or something? It was home it? and away. Yeah. That so, is, yeah. So listen uh, up. Home and away. Home on, questions sorry. are worth one point. Should you get a question wrong as your home question, you lose a point. Away questions are worth ten points. And if you get it wrong, you don't lose any points. Oh, he's getting scared now, but, isn't he, Nicholson? When he sees the ten-point reward, he's getting scared, <laughs> isn't he? But I, Suddenly that eight points in so high, is it? I will say this. Home questions oh. are canon questions. Away oh. questions are ridiculous non 
non-canon question. <laughs> so, you know your scores, you know what you need to do. We have to stop, Nicholson, we've got to gamble. <laughs> Mr. Spencer, you need the points, you can go first. You want a home question or an away question? Got to go balls deep on this, dicks out for Harambe. I'll take an away question. Okay, in Biohazard The Real, what is the name of the company responsible for making items used by the players? What's it called, Biohazard The, the, the Real? What? The Real? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, all double E-L. It's like a haunted maze game. Uh, Are we allowed to buzz in if he's... You don't know this. No one knows this. I'm going to allow it. I I will. If if people know an away question, yes, damn straight they can have a go. I don't know the answer. I'm going to open it up to George. No, I just had a thought because it's at Universal or maybe it had something to do with someone at Universal made them just in-house. No, no, no. Is it an in-universe company? Is it Maru? As in Tokyo, Maru. It might be an in-universe. It's Globo Shem Defences. There we go. George Trevor, home or away? Well, I'm going to have to do what everyone's wanted me to do a long time in the Resident Evil community and go away. (laughs) (laughs) What is the name of the first aid sprays in Operation Raccoon City? I don't... Do you know what? I don't even know, but that doesn't actually feel like it's a hard question. What's Mm. the name of the... Like, the mate? But they were Umbrella Pharmaceuticals. What's the name? Um, It's not going to be Umbrella, then. Like, you mean, Mm. like, the make? The company that makes them? Umbrella Pharmaceuticals? I don't know. No, that's my answer. Cineteropia. Oh, okay. Stars Tyrant, home or away? Uh, which is the cannon home. ones? Home. Okay, on what day was Raccoon City wiped off the map? October 1st. <laughs> there we want. go, point to Stars. Batman, yeah. home or away? Um, home, please. Home. What is Jill's code name in Lost in Nightmares? Eagle 6. Oh, I'm afraid that's incorrect. It's Eagle 5. So you nice. lose a point there. Back to Mr. Spencer, home or away? Home, please, Chief. <laughs> When in 1998 was martial law imposed on Raccoon City? I think we've had this question before. I think we've had this question before. This was when people were like, oh, is it martial law? I actually don't know the answer. I think it was like 22nd or something. I don't know. Oh, it's 24th of September. We were sort of early 20s. Can't lose any points because you haven't got any. So never mind. Uh, George Uh, Trevor, home or away? uh, Away, please. Another one. I can't win unless I keep going. In the wicked sea of the north. (laughs) Wait, isn't it Phantom Beast? Whatever. Oh, yeah, I, I want to call out yeah. that translation. Go on, then. I would say that PU has it down as canon, I'm not sure. Uh, the character Norse is a former military unit member of what group? Oh. Can I say, this is guessable? Oh, sorry. Um. If we guess, if someone other than George guesses, and they get it right, then they Maybe get we'll the see, points. We'll I think George will get it. I think. Right. Wait, just repeat the question one more time. Yeah, just repeat the question while I, while I Google that, please, Nick. <laughs> Oh, oh just, ooh, what is it? Ooh. Oh, it's Delta Force. Oh, just came to me. It's parted to my head. It's so horrible. Oh, that's got one of the highlights. In the Wicked Sea of the North, the character North yeah, yeah. is a former military unit member of what group? Um, I'm going to, I don't know, but I'm going to just, for John's sake, I'm going to say Delta Force. NASA. <laughs> I'm afraid that is incorrect. The correct answer is SAS. I was going to say SAS. Batman, come away. All right, I'll go home, please. Out of the four Raccoon City rivers, which was the only one where no bodies were discovered leading to the mansion incident? Wow. Um... Circular River. Correct. Very good. Uh, Another point there. Stars Tyrant, home or away? Home. In May 1978, one of Marcus's trainees touched a leech and becomes infected. What was his name? Brandon Bailey. No, I'm afraid it was Dennis. (laughs) Fuck it, I've no idea. Uh, Mr. Spencer, home or away? Away, we have to gamble. In which... (laughs) 
In which Resident Evil game has Albert Wesker been successfully cloned? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's got to be a bullshit question, nope. hasn't it? Successfully cloned. Would you repeat that just so I get it in my head here? <laughs> in which game has Albert Wesker been successfully cloned? Maybe this is one of those joke questions, isn't it? Where the answer's like, oh, in Vito's crazy fucked up mind, that's where the video game's made, where he's cloned. You know, and the, the dreams and delusions of the fan base. Maybe it's like a metaphysical I question. I think this came from Rodney. <laughs> well, he was cloned. Would like if I said there hasn't been one, that is that be an, an answer. answer? Can I answer? Because I don't think that's the right answer. I don't think it's not. I think he's definitely been cloned in something. But cloned in what sense? No, properly cloned, as in. I want to buzz in, please. Really? Properly cloned. He hasn't in any answer? of them. No game has been cloned. Okay. That's my answer. That's incorrect, George. I'm going to let you come in on this one. I almost. I mean, I kind of. I feel dirty knowing this, and I hope I've got it wrong. And if I don't, I take no. I don't want to take any. It's non-canon, isn't it? There's a Facebook sort of RPG Resident Evil, because that's the only thing I can think of. That was something like Resident Evil Dash, but is it called Resident Evil Gree? The Facebook Gree. game? That's incorrect, that but a bloody good show. It's Biohazard Clan Master. See, I thought of Clan Master when you said Rodney, because I know it's probably, I shouldn't have got it right anyway, because Rodney sent me loads yeah. of art from Clan Master, but I thought that's a card game, not a video game, I didn't think. It's a virtual deck building game, though, isn't it? There we go. Uh, George Trevor, home or away? Away, please. Okay. Got what was boy. the name of the research program seen in Confidential Report? I've never played Confidential Report. I read that stupid article thing at <laughs> PU. Can you just repeat what it one more time? What was the name of the what? research program seen in Confidential Report? Was it Multiple Nemesis Dick? Um, I don't know. Pass. I'd say nem- Nemesis Report. Does anyone want to buzz in? Project M- MS. MS um, Virus. Nick Endine's Bane. <laughs> <laughs> MS is the correct answer, but I was looking for what MS stood for, which of course is Matchless Soldier. That was the name of the program. So uh, there we oh. go. Uh, right, last round of questions. Batman, home or away? Um, oh, I'll go away. So he gets this. I think none of us can That's win, correct. can we? Don't worry, he won't. Uh, name one of the <laughs> <laughs> name one of the viruses seen in Biohazard Clan Master. Oh God, Baslisk virus. Ooh. <laughs> what the fuck did you? Know? I think he that could is be right. right. He's right. Yeah, yeah. You see, I've got that artwork as well. Nice artwork. <laughs> oh, I blame Holbrook. I need the artwork. Why haven't I been sent the artwork? It's a Crimson is Head it? Elder plug. It's actually very nice, that, yes. some of that stuff. It really is. Basilisk virus or the Succubus virus, which is a modified G-virus strain for females. There we go. Very good. That puts you on 18 points. Stars, Tyrant, home or away? Home. Home. <laughs> How many individuals were in the Wesker children? Twelve. That's wrong, isn't it? It's thirteen. It's thirteen. <laughs> oh, Fuck. Sean. Sean, oh dear. It's 13. Um, Mr. Spencer, home or away? we got to go away again. I have to. It's only way. It's another confidential report question. In most Resident Evil games, a first aid spray completely restores health. This is not the case in confidential report. Which item performs this task? So it's not a first aid spray, which I assume it's not going to be a herb either. Because if it's not, if a first aid spray doesn't... That's interesting because herbs, the green herb, would not fully restore your health. It would just be, you know, a little bit. So maybe this time around around the herb the green herb actually fully heals you oh. that's gonna be my answer it's wrong sadly that is no, wrong the answer is the first aid spray sp george trevor i have to go away i think you might get this one what is the name of the virus seen in fire and ice oh, i was just talking about fire and ice the other day where i just basically said it makes no sense at all it may as well be written in another language i know it's got stars charlie yep. team in it can i get a point for that <laughs> i've got no idea is it the fire and ice virus 
virus. Anyone know stars? Do you know? G virus. I think I know what this <laughs> is. I know that much. It's based off the G virus. It's definitely some G virus thing in there. It's just the X virus. <laughs> so that does conclude. Let's look at the final scores. George oh, and Mr. Spencer remain on zero. <laughs> what happened? It was what happened this year. Stars type remains on one. I'm ashamed of myself for getting that Oscar Children question wrong. Robbie's on two without doing anything. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, that earthquake's uh, done well for him, hasn't it? You think and about Batman it? finishes yeah. with 18 points. Very good. He has been unstoppable this season. However, mm. there is now the final round, the mystery guest. Where's everyone going? Bingo? This is worth 19 <laughs> points. <laughs> very specific, isn't it? Nick? Very specific number. You know what's mm. funny about that? It's the fact that it's it's one point more than what John's current total is. It's so incredible. It's convenient, it's, isn't it? It's amazing. Wow. So, it's a mystery guess. So, we have five clues. The first person to shout with the answer will win. <laughs> oh, oh, this is like waiting up all night for the fucking Brexit vote <laughs> results again, isn't it? So, clue one. I am a man. I work for the Umbrella Corporation. Morpheus Duval. No. I worked in the underground facility. Martin Crackhorn. Well, you've asked one guess. He worked at the Spencer Mansion. Are we just allowed to shout out names? Yeah, just shout out names, yeah. I was killed in September 1998. And finally, I was killed by a Hunter R. It's an outbreak one. Motherfucker. Peter Jenkins. No. Uh, Michael. Something. Martin. Notice how I've shut up completely. <laughs> there was... It, uh, I know the bloke. He was outside the freezer area. Wasn't he? Yes. Or something. And I, I, I'm sure... I'm, I said Martin. But that can't be right. No, he's that's got, right. He's got a surname. Yes. So Martin... I'd love it if John gets this. I so much <laughs> to get this. Please get it right. Gonna, don't fucking stress me. Let me, frantic, <laughs> let, me, let me frantically look up end of the road quickly. <laughs> let me stall it enough time. Martin Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get surnames. <laughs> there is a timer that you have 30 seconds. Martin Walcott. Oh, there's the point, Batman. He just comes in there and (laughs) decapitates John. Well done, Batman. A deserved winner. Very good. That does conclude the quiz. Let's look at the final scores. This motherfucker's going to change this year. Yeah, and season four is going to be a different outcome because I'm <laughs> getting back into the canon. <laughs> I am, no, I've been, I've been doing it behind the scenes slowly. I've, I'm, it's uh, working. It'll take some time because I'm a bit rusty. But, but stars was right, there needs to be a little bit of quality control in the questions for next season. Please. So the final scores, Mr. Spencer and George Trevor finish on zero. Stars Tyrant with one. Batman slightly in the lead with 37. <laughs> So, thank you all very much for playing. I hope you all enjoyed A Question of Biohazard. Join us in Season 4 for the return of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz.
No, thank you all very much. That does conclude most of the uh, podcast. I hope you enjoyed the quiz. It was a nice bit of fun, nice bit of fun. Well, that does conclude Series 3 of the Project Umbrella podcast. We will be back with Season 4, probably focusing on uh, any Resident Evil 7 news. And uh, we will see you shortly. On that note, it is goodbye for me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Stars Tyrant. Goodbye from me, George Trevor. And goodbye from me, Mr. Spencer. (laughs) Fucking (laughs) Oh, yes, yes! Season, but we nailed it. Looking for the meaning of something.